This is a Props.com production. The Bostonian is Matt Perrault. This is our f- city. The book is Dave Sherapan. Pay him. Pay that man his money. Together, they are the Bostonian versus the book. You covered! You covered 12! I covered! Follow the show on Twitter at Boston versus the book. How do you like them, Matt? Bringing you the best insight on sports betting news, Matt and Dave's daily picks, and an entertaining and unfiltered dive into the sports betting industry. Here's Dave Sherapan and Matt Peralt. And here we go. And welcome into another episode of the Bostonian versus the book. My name is Matt Peralt. You are not looking at Dave Sherapan. Instead, you are looking at the or one of the two co-hosts for Props Arizona. Props AZ. He is Doug Franz joining us today as as our boy is still in Pittsburgh, still at home. Today, I think they're going on TV, though. Yesterday was the mock. Today, I think, is the actual live in-game broadcast for Pittsburgh and the New York Yankees. But, Doug, thank you for being here. How are you on this? Well, it's nice in Vegas. How is it in Phoenix? Well, it's it's almost always the uh, exact same weather. I'm thrilled to be a part of this. It's fantastic right now. But I admit to you, I haven't been outside yet, so I really don't know for sure. But I can look outside and there are zero clouds, and it is typical of Arizona. All right. So for people who don't know, I want you to explain the unplugged Doug thing. So people have asked me, what does unplugged Doug mean? And why is that his Twitter handle? Because I know you do your daily podcast, which is titled that, but where did the unplugged come from? Because even I don't, I don't think I even know this story. Well, it's, it's not all that thrilling, but um, I number one made the mistake of changing because I used to be a 15 year talk show host here in Phoenix and then got fired because I don't keep my mouth shut. And because of that, (laughs) I then lost the blue check mark, but I didn't want the station name to be on my Twitter handle anymore. So I changed and Phoenix has a weird recognition point of pride. I guess we are the only state in America. America that has all four professional sports teams, division one football, division one basketball, and all six of the teams I just described are on the same radio station. The flagship station has all six teams at the same time. And therefore, when you rip one of the teams because you're not a homer, people get upset and namely the teams get upset. And then yeah, when they get people? upset, who's, who's the people boss, though? Who's what, people? No? Explain who people is. Oh, fans and teams (laughs) and uh, mostly teams. And then they call into, I don't know, some kind of bald boss man or something and complain. And then I get called into the office all the time. Well, eventually I said, you know what? Once I got fired, I'm, I'm starting a podcast because my wife said we're not moving. And then once we're not moving, I became, well, let's unplug this thing. And no longer am I handicapped to say what I'm supposed to say or try to toe the line before I get in trouble. So now I'm Doug Franz unplugged and I do the only podcast in America that drops every single morning on your phone that is focused entirely on one sports market. So therefore it is Doug Franz unplugged. All right. So in terms of your relationship to Phoenix, you've been there for so long, but you're from Ohio. Yes. Is Are you like, where are you on the, I am from angle? Are you always from Ohio or are you guys basically, cause your kids have been raised in Phoenix. Are you now, you know, Phoenix, what is someone called from Phoenix? A Phoenixin? What is the, what is Phoenician. the Phoenician? 
Phoenician. <laughs> it's a very interesting term. What are you now? It all, you know, it's funny here in Phoenix, almost everybody asks you, where are you from? Because you're not really from Phoenix. If you're from Arizona, you're from somewhere else in the state. So they right. don't ask you. Like if I lived somewhere else in the state, like Flagstaff, nobody asks, oh, are you from here? You just assume you live in Flagstaff and you're from Flagstaff. But if you're from, if you live in Phoenix, everybody knows you're from somewhere else. So if they ask me, where are you from? I say Ohio. But if I'm out on vacation or I'm somewhere else on planet Earth and they say, where are you from? Well, then I say Phoenix because that's where I live. Interesting. Vegas is the same way. No one actually okay. is from here. So you, you're asked, you just say, where are you from? But you're right. If I'm outside of California, where do you live? Yes. I don't say where I'm from. I never say I'm from Vegas. Say I live in Vegas. I'm from Boston. It's always like a caveat as to you know the Bostonian mm -hmm. part of the show, Bostonian versus the book. It's always just basically Dave's from Pittsburgh. I'm from Boston. When over the last 15 years, what's been the biggest difference between when you arrived in Phoenix to now? Maricopa County is where Phoenix is. It is the fastest growing county in America. And the west side of Phoenix, which is where I live, is the fastest growing portion of Maricopa County. So when I first got here, the interstate was two lanes beside my house. Now it is six lanes both ways, and it's being extended further west than the last extension of six lanes. So it's 100% population growth is the, I mean, it's not even close, but also I would say number two is the breweries are a lot better. So we've got a lot of different uh, good beers now. Interesting. So where is sports betting on that list? in terms of biggest changes to the market? Um, I, I, it might've surpassed beer <laughs> um, then the, the, with population growth still being number one, but it has a lot to do with it. We were one of the fastest States once the Supreme court made its ruling, we flipped pretty quick. There was a pretty good size argument in the state legislature. Now I am, I'm a long time removed from my poli sci, almost minor at Ohio university, <laughs> but it was, it was the only thing was debating with the casinos. Uh, we have a lot of tribal land casinos in Phoenix and those discussions, which were what's going to be allowed, what's not going to be allowed. And the different, aspects of the law were debated for a while but other than that it was a pretty quick turnaround between going from nothing is legal like the rest of the country to almost everything is legal you guys do have one of the more wonky rules though that you cannot use an application in a sports book like that is yes. really odd that you you have mobile betting I say, yeah. I, i'm one of those <laughs> people that say if it's allowed then just do it do it right. all the time. Uh, I don't like the fact that the the little guy can't do it. Right. The, uh, the sports books are assigned to two different groups, either in the casino or to the teams. And your team has to be able to prove that you are at a major league level. So one of the funny stories about that is you have a team, the Las Vegas Knights in the indoor football league. Yep. We have a team. And originally, our indoor football team, uh, at one point arena football, the uh, Arizona Rattlers were denied by the commission of a having a sports book. Well, our the head coach is also the team president. And then he reapplied and then went after the decision and on appeal explained he actually is a major league. 
and showed a huge PowerPoint presentation that here are all the differences between indoor football and outdoor football. And therefore, this is the highest level of indoor football in the world. And because arena football went bankrupt, this league is the number one indoor football league. Well, by the letter of the law, as silly as it sounds to the rest of us saying, what, that's a major league? It is because there's nothing above it. So therefore, they got approved of a sports book. So we have an indoor football league team that has a sports book. That's pretty cool. I, I know. Do people still go to indoor football there? I mean, I know it was such a big deal. I remember watching it growing up on ESPN2 right. when arena football was big. You know, you and I both broadcasted way back in the day, the Tennessee Valley Vipers in AF2 mm-hmm. to throw it back. But how do people still go to, to indoor football? They do. I mean, I go to almost every game, but it's just so weird. You brought up the Vipers for anybody else that doesn't know. Arena football used to be so big. It had a minor league. So it was called AF2. (laughs) And the first three head coaches, it's amazing the lineage of this small little podunk team. The first head coach is a guy you see on ESPN Saturdays, Tom Luganbill, the recruiting analyst for ESPN. The second head coach was an assistant special teams coach under Jay Gruden of the Washington Redskins. Redskins now commanders for years. And the third head coach was Kevin Guy, and he's the current head coach of the Arizona Rattlers. And so he's been one of my best friends for 20 years. So we go to games every weekend. They play at the arena that the Suns and Mercury play at. And normally the lower bowl is close to being sold out, but the upper bowl It might have 200 people, give or take, and some weekends they don't even sell the upper bowl. But they do well at playoff time, and there's two weeks left in the regular season. All right, so we've got people like Stavo, the lost one, people in the live chat today who are watching this. For those people who don't understand, and you and Sean Lockhart, Papa Bear, who will be the host, the co-host tomorrow, filling in for for Mm -hmm. our boy. What is the West side East side thing? Because he just like proudly proclaimed West side, like bit, like it's like a big, like like a t-shirt or something like I am. Yeah. Why East side, West side? What is the deal with Phoenix? It is a dramatically different world on both sides. East side people. I'm sure that they're very nice, but you have to have an element of arrogance to be on the East side. They're actually, <laughs> you actually have to pass a test to be able to live on the East side of your level of arrogance, how high is your nose? And you have to have this hatred of driving anything oh. over 10 minutes is too far. Nothing can be out of your way. And you have to be really good at complaining. If you're not good at those things, you don't get to live on the East side. All of the money is on the East side. I live in a town called Goodyear, which basically it goes Phoenix, Goodyear. There's another town called Buckeye. And then after Buckeye, it's California. And therefore, West Side is the hardcore blue collar. We're used to driving. We don't complain. Accept what you've been given in life. Work hard if you would like to have more. And therefore, those are the dramatic differences. People on the East Side, they go to sporting events to be seen. So if the team's good enough, they'll be there and they'll buy up all the expensive tickets while the rest of us will be there through thick and thin, but we have to sit in the upper deck. 
So where is your audience now for your daily podcast? All on the West side? Because the East side people, I'm guessing, aren't really liking what no, you're saying. No, the East side people, they, they know everything I just said was true. They, they're they just in denial. So they uh, <laughs> they accept it. But uh, I, I have I have no idea. What's the weirdest thing, though, is the Suns have been here for over 50 years. And deep down inside, it's a Suns town. But okay. just like any other city in America, NFL rules. And I know that, that if I put anything to do with Kyler Murray or the Arizona Cardinals in my topic of my show in the title that day, then I usually have about four to 500 uh, extra views, uh, not views, uh, listens, it downloads if I do that. But if I keep it sons wise, you know, then I do good, but not great. And if I dare put diamondbacks in the title, I probably half my audience. Wow, that's really interesting. We'll talk more about those topics here in just one second. But let's talk about the end of the NBA season for the Suns. And so I had I had a futures ticket on the Suns. I had the Warriors and Celtics were the three tickets I had purchased. So I, I had the finals locked down, lost on the Suns. What was the general and what is the general feeling of last year? A major missed opportunity or another step with a bunch of youngsters getting more playoff experience? 100% the former. Um, I mean, it's not even remotely close. And a lot of us are really worried are the sons in denial because all they keep saying is, Hey, we lost and they just, and Dallas beat us and they just leave it hang there. Yet. This is the only team in the history of basketball that's ever lost a game six and a game seven by a combined 70 points. It's never happened. And that you can't just whisk that away. Like, well, you know, we lost and that's life, especially when the Suns were up two Oh against Milwaukee and fiddled that chance away last year for the championship. Now you're up 2-0 against Dallas and you allow it to happen again. Our confidence has not been shaken in Monty Williams. You don't win almost 70 games and be suddenly become a bad coach, especially with where this franchise was and where it is now. Yet it was so clear the adjustments Jason Kidd made after game two and the Suns were never able to counterbalance what happened other than an unbelievable one quarter performance or excuse me, one half performance in the second half of game five. If it wasn't for that one little period of 24 minutes, the Suns got blitzkrieg the other five, four and a half games. It's, it's a horrible way to lose. And there are serious, serious questions. And the way it ended might've cost the Suns DeAndre Ayton. So if DeAndre Ayton is to be moved, okay. Is Kevin Durant the solution? I mean, if that three team well, proposed nice consolation prize, if you lose your number one pick, <laughs> I mean, is, is that what is being thought of in Phoenix? Cause I mean, if you look at the betting markets, it's almost like pretty much people are soon are just like, it's a done deal that the Suns are going to get Kevin Durant, but everything I've read in your local paper and things I've read nationally, it feels like the Suns are going to really take their time with this. And there's not a huge rush to do this at the moment. Fair. I think Brooklyn's in the exact same boat. I think they're taking their time too. Kendrick Perkins said yesterday on ESPN, a very interesting and kind of somewhat crazy opinion. It's his opinion. He wants to play with Kyrie in Brooklyn. And therefore by demanding a trade, it forces Brooklyn to give Kyrie Irving an extension because all he has now is the one year player option that he opted into. And the thought was this way, you know, I'm leaving unless you do something to keep Kyrie. Everybody else took it. 
as you wanted out as soon as Kyrie opted in. I'm not saying what's, I don't know what the truth is, but it's a very interesting opinion to try to force Brooklyn's hand. I think he's going to be a net or a son. Uh, I don't I don't like a lot of the other uh, ideas of him going somewhere else because it's not like a Kawhi Leonard situation where Kawhi Leonard really cared about his image. So even though he wanted out of San Antonio and he wanted to go to Los Angeles, he wasn't going to refuse an assignment. So he goes to Toronto and wins a world championship. Supposedly, Toronto has the best package to give to Brooklyn to be able to pick up Kevin Durant. But I don't think that trade goes through if Durant refuses. So Durant has already said, I want Phoenix or I want Miami and simply put the Suns have a better package that they can put together than Miami does. It's interesting to think about that angle as him forcing the hand to stay in Brooklyn because they did go all in on the guy. I mean, they, they gave him a monster contract. They kind of blew up their franchise. They brought in Kyrie. It hasn't worked. Obviously if Phoenix loses Deandre Ayton and they don't get Kevin Durant, how is that going to play? I almost feel like if that scenario would have played out, it would already have played out by now. Okay. One thing, and it doesn't mean you're wrong. It still could happen, but here's what's interesting there. This is a Deandre Ayton decision first and foremost. So why hasn't it been made? I mean, why, unless DA is 100% sure that I can do a sign and trade and be part of the Kevin Durant deal. And I know that's going to happen. Why wouldn't he have already taken his money from somebody else? I guess nobody's either a, nobody's offered him the max or he knows he can get it. And I think a lot of you know this, but in case, some of you that don't, the reason why a sign and trade exists is there's only a certain amount four years. And I think it's about 120. I'm kind of making up a number there that he can sign and leave the Suns for. But if he signs with the Suns, he can get five years and about 150 million. Yeah. So that's why you do a sign and trade. Well, unless he knows he's got one in the bag, why hasn't he signed with somebody else yet? So I, I kind of think if we're getting Kevin Durant, it's probably part of a three team trade with either Utah or Houston because the Suns have the players to make that move. They don't have the draft picks. So if you make the trade with Houston, Brooklyn can just ask for their draft picks back in the James Harden trade. And they're happy. If you do it with Utah, you can get Utah's picks and some of Minnesota's picks that they collected in the Carl Anthony Towns trade. So now you can get the picks that you need. Now, anybody can go through Oklahoma City and do the same thing. But right. all the scenarios I gave you, does DA want to go there? I bet DA would enjoy Houston because you always have to remember who's got state income taxes mm -hmm. and Texas does not have a state income tax. So that saves him millions. So I could see a situation where DA goes to Houston, but if he's not part of a sign and trade deal to end up with Kevin Durant coming back to Phoenix, then I would assume nobody has offered him the max. And then if they don't get Kevin Durant, why not just match it? Because huh. you don't have anything, you don't have any reason not to match it unless the hard feelings from game seven are still alive. Yeah, it's weird because, like, I, I looked at it. We were doing the show on Thursday from the Sahara okay. here in Vegas. So we're, so we're live, and like, we see this big breaking news. Dave and I turn around and we're like, what the hell? Kevin Durant is asking for a trade to be out. And it's like he wants to go to Phoenix. And then immediately the betting markets, both onshore and offshore, started putting up these markets for where they thought Kevin Durant was going to go. And it, it, it opened up heavy Phoenix and it has since okay. completely changed. 
And now it's, you're still laying juice on it, but it's not anywhere near where it was. It was minus 240 at one point for Kevin Durant to wind up with Phoenix. So the market is definitely cool. People are definitely going, hmm, what is going on? Why has this not happened yet? And maybe there's a lot of smoke here, but not a whole lot of fire when it comes to Phoenix. So if the Kevin Durant thing doesn't go, I then pivot to the market of the championship for next year. Phoenix right now is the number two team to win the NBA championship at six to one, which is somewhat surprising. If it's no Kevin Durant going there, Kevin Durant goes there. They're still a very good basketball team, but what is lacking in your mind? What, what from why they finished as poorly as they did and fell apart? Like you mentioned in the last two games with the 70 points they lost combined by is CP three, a problem. Is he too old? Does he need more help? Aiton needs to play more. Like what happened through your eyes in that final two games of of the playoffs? The number one issue with the Phoenix Suns is DeAndre Aiton, when he's focused and when he cares, is a dominant player. I mean, not quite Joel Embiid, not quite Giannis, but, and he's there. I mean, he's in the conversation and you notice nobody ever has that conversation because he never focuses that long and he doesn't keep himself in the greatest of shape. He looks like he's in great shape, but it's unbelievable how winded he gets over a certain period of time. So you're fighting this situation with Deandre Ayton of, do you just pay a guy a max contract and deal with all of the mental limitations he provides and quit asking him to change who he is as a person you can't make somebody competitive they're either a competitive person or they're not and he's a very happy-go-lucky guy I am not in any way attacking the human being DA he's a wonderful kid but keep in mind he's always going to be a kid he's never going to be an adult he's he plays seven hours of Halo or NBA 2K and has no problem doing it, does not sleep all that much, just loves playing video games, doesn't go out and get into trouble, but loves basketball and loves this. And, oh, well, we lost. Man, that stinks because he feels like he let his team down. But that's it. He doesn't have a fire that says, I must destroy you. Mm -hmm. That's just not in him. So that's step one is figuring out what are you going to do with DeAndre Ayton? I would say step two is Cameron Payne was a wonderful addition in the bubble and a wonderful addition on the way to the championship. He was a hair below awful in, uh, in the second half of the season last year. That meant a lot more minutes from Chris Paul. So to your point, I think Chris Paul has to miss games. He does not like load management, but I think you need him to play 75 games. He doesn't play on back-to-backs. You need to severely limit his minutes because the trend is too real that he's not able to get through the end of a season without having some kind of injury that dramatically affects the team in the playoffs. You know, it's funny because I met Chris Paul. I did a couple of years of his ping pong tournament when I first moved to Vegas. He was doing <laughs> it out of the out of the Palazzo. And so he's a big ping pong guy. And so I had a chance to, I didn't have long conversation with him, but shook his hand, met him. And he was incredibly nice. And and just his people were really nice. His family's a little bit prickly, but that's not uh, no too unthought un, un, un of. That's interesting. Unique. Yeah, they, they're, they're protective. They have kind of a okay. shell around him. And But I really want him to get a ring. 
like all of the last two seasons, I've been saying, man, Chris Paul has got one thing lacking on the resume and that's a championship. And then everybody shuts up about Chris Paul because he's been such an amazing player and so important to every team he has been on. He has elevated them, taken them to the different, a next level, made other players better, made B players and A players and so on. But does Phoenix care? Is there like a movement in Phoenix to get Chris Paul a championship? Like if he goes out and never wins, does Phoenix feel like, ah, oh man, that stinks. We had him. We didn't get him a ring. No, because, and listen, Phoenix loves Chris Paul. There's already discussions that the day could come where he might be in the ring of honor. And that is, it sounds crazy because to you know the outside world of Phoenix, who are the sons? I mean, they know they exist, but when you have zero championships, it's it's not a team where you really get all that excited about nationally. But this is a team of great heritage and great pride locally. People here still talk about losing to the Boston Celtics in the mid-70s and having the airport just flooded with human beings, thousands upon thousands of people to greet the team when they came back. They've lost in the finals twice and had parades after it. So, wow. I mean, that that's how much they love the team. So it's more about if this team actually won a championship, it would be more about the city finally got its NBA championship. And that would totally trump any feelings for Chris Paul. The players would feel that. The players totally are invested in trying to get Chris Paul a championship. The head coach is invested in trying to get a championship. The owner, he's more of a guy that nobody in town likes, and you can't win in a battle with Jerry Colangelo. And even though Mr. Colangelo doesn't own the team anymore, he's still the most beloved Phoenix sports figure that there is. So therefore, the owner now, Robert Sarver, would do anything for a championship so he can say, see, I'm a better owner than Jerry. (laughs) even though none of us would agree with them. (laughs) Ooh, that's an interesting, uh, that's a prickly dynamic because you're in the Western conference. So obviously you're stacked and and there's a lot of things, you know, against the Suns. yet they've got such a great core, a great nucleus. Uh, Devin Booker is amazing. And I'm not trying to say that Devin Booker is a problem by any means, but can you, if you bring in Kevin Durant, a player like that, what does that do to a Devin Booker? I mean, would he be comfortable playing second fiddle, third fiddle in some ways and not having the same number of touches? 100%. The, the only way I can describe to you this kid to really let you know his level of maturity at the time, I think he's 21. He might've been 22. And Al McCoy is the legendary radio play-by-play voice of the Phoenix Suns. When I say legendary, he's been doing almost every Suns game in their history. Okay. So Mm. he is loved in this city. Well, he got put into this famous ring of honor. And it's one of those ceremonies, as you can imagine, where the team spends the money to no matter where you live, fly in every member of the ring of honor. They have the dinners and they have all of this ceremony all weekend long. Well, Devin Booker, still on his rookie contract, walked out of the locker room and sat there on the bench and watched the entire ceremony of Al McCoy getting into the ring of honor. What kind of 21-year-old watches the play-by-play guy get into the ring of honor? And when when he was asked why he did it, he says, I wanted to be in touch of the history of this organization. And he let it be known through back channels. His goal is to be in this, of course, win a championship, but also be in the Suns ring of honor someday. Mm -hmm. And 
that kind of loyalty from a 21 year old is just absolutely not normal and nothing's changed. All he's done be- is become more and more mature over time. And he never had a maturity problem to begin with. So because of that, the answer to your question is he will do anything to win. And it's no different than the Olympics. Mm. You put him in the Olympics and suddenly it's like, Hey, what do you need from me coach? And he's, and he, he rode to the Olympics. A lot of people nationally don't know this, but Chris Middleton uh, and uh uh, one other, um, gosh, I can't remember who it was, but one other uh, member of the Milwaukee Bucks, or uh, it was, uh, it was Drew Holiday. Holiday. Yeah, Drew Holiday. Those two members of the Bucks were on the Olympic team as well, and the finals went right up until about two days before the first game of the Olympics for the U.S. men's team. Well. He's on a private plane paid for by USA Basketball to fly with the two guys that just beat him. And it's like, hey, you know, I got to accept it. They won, became friends with Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday, and then was ready to play great defense uh, on the U.S. men's team. And he hit some pretty clutch shots during that tournament run. So that's who Devin Booker is. He has zero problem putting away any ego issues in order to be part of this thing with uh, Kevin Durant or whoever else comes in. All right. So that's interesting. So is there a dynamic problem, maybe not a personality problem, but a dynamic problem when you have a player like that and then what you described out of DeAndre Ayton, who is sort of laissez-faire, I don't really care, whatever happens, and you've got Booker who is all in all the time. They have done a masterful job in hiding that, and I still <laughs> think the answer is yes. When you look at a lot of the turnovers of D- of the two backcourt members and who knows if Kevin Durant will feel the same way, but a lot of the turnovers from Chris Paul or Devin Booker are 99.9% Deandre Ayton's fault in which Deandre Ayton has a bad seal in the post. So you throw it into him and the guy gets right around him and knocks the ball away. Bam turnover. He also has terrible hands when he's not focused. The game of basketball is not natural to him. He has to focus on it. He it's almost like he's drifting. Okay. I run here and then I run here and then I run here. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, a basketball just hit me. And then he (laughs) drops the ball. Well now, because he never had true possession, that's Chris Paul's turnover. So here's a guy that's legendary for his 12 assists, one turnover games. And he ends up with four or five turnovers and four of the five turnovers hit Deandre Ayton in the hands. So it's exact. I totally believe it's a problem. You can see the body language of players on the court frustrated with Deandre Ayton. If you're at the game or you're watching it on NBA league pass, if they show the Suns in their actual huddle, you can, see guys with their heads down but their chest is going like this because they're yelling at deandre ayton and you're not supposed to know that they're yelling at deandre ayton so they do it (laughs) unbelievably professionally but yeah there's a lot of anger but it flips it it's still a family these guys get along great and whenever you see the focus deandre ayton he's the Mm. first one that gets a ton of compliments all right one more question on the sun so we'll move on kevin durant if i give you a hundred dollars of my money at minus 110, are you betting Durant to the Suns or somewhere else? Suns, yeah. Uh-huh. It's uh, it's close. I, I think it's close between Suns and Nets. 
but I, I, I would go with the Suns. If, if I'm betting your money, if I'm betting my money, I, obviously I'm a, I'm a minnow when it comes to betting, even though I'm on Props Arizona presented by Betfred Sports. Look at I, you. You know, the, the shark is Sean. I'm the one that bets, you know, hey, I really believe in this one. I'm, I'm going all the way to 10 bucks. You know, I, uh, uh, I, I don't bet that much money. So therefore, if you're asking me to spend my money, I wouldn't. I think it's that close between Suns and Nets. Now, if you gave me Suns, Nets versus the field, uh, that, that would be that would be all the way up to a two unit bet, and, and secretly that would be ten dollars. Ooh, all right. So you brought up Sean Lockhart, your co-host on Props Arizona. You guys are doing some really good stuff. You guys haven't checked the pod out. I'd highly recommend it on video or on audio, where you get your audio podcasts. But some of the more highly performing videos that we've done on TikTok and on Instagram have been when you two go at it arguing. And one of the more popular ones that popped was you ripping on Chet Holmgren. So Chet Holmgren <laughs> yesterday goes off in the summer league. He, he rocketed all the way to the favorite to be the NBA rookie of the year. Thanks to his performance yesterday in the summer league. Do you put any stock in summer league performances? I do compared to other rookies, but not to overall. And, uh, and here's where I'm looking at with Chet Holmgren. And I know this is going to be the part that people forget. I said, I think he's going to be one of the best players in the game for like the first two or three years. When I say in the game, I mean, among young players, I think he's going to be fantastic, but instead of comparing him to a lot of the lights out people that he's getting compared to, I look at him as Porzingis. People forget how great Porzingis looked for the year or two with the New York Knicks. He was the media darling. And then all of a sudden, boom, he fell apart. The guy broke in half. And I, 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 do, I do not see Chet Holmgren with that body being anything more than a better version of Sean Bradley, if you're really old school and you know what I'm talking Ooh, about. Wow. He'll have good years. And people are going to forget that I said the good part. And when he, I guarantee you in around year two, he's going to be having great across the board averages and my Twitter feed will be filled up with the told you so guys. And then all of a sudden, no one's going to pay attention when it's year four and he's not offered the rookie match because everybody's afraid about him in the injury front. So he's got all the skills, but he doesn't have an NBA body. And I think that's going to matter. Yeah, it's Gren. I, I misspelled that, Matt. So it's it's home Gren, not home green. That's my I, I added the e there. So don't yell it. It's not <laughs> fair. that's not Ferris' fault. That that's me fat fingering the email on, on shit Holmgren. So yesterday he goes for twenty three points, set an NBA summer league record for blocks and threes in a game. He tweeted after the game a laughing emoji. Seven feet tall is going to be a problem for any big that's got to guard the guy because he can step out well behind the three-point line and bury it. But I am 100% with you in terms of his overall strength and ability to play a full NBA season and to go and play in the postseason, which can be extremely long. OKC, I think, has a really special talent on their hands, but he may be difficult and hard to figure out and how to play him and how to keep him healthy and keep him off the injured list. I'm with you. I mean, I would be feeding this kid as many calories per day as I possibly could trying to get as much muscle on the guys I possibly could and try to at least work on that frame and make it into a man's frame. Cause I think you're right. The NBA is a man's league. I mean, can you imagine LeBron James driving full steam at Holmgren? Going to snap him in half and break a rib. Yeah. Yeah. He'll bury him in the paint. So that's my issue with the kid is like, okay, yeah, he's long and really unique, but like, 
the game has gone this way now where bigs can step outside and he can be a seven foot four or a seven foot three even and not play in the post. You know, we've seen both Boston, other teams who have really, you know, used this where their big guy doesn't score very much. He's just a defensive rim protector and a guy who follows up and everybody else stands around the perimeter, even Al Horford and shoots threes. So you can build a roster around Chet. It's just that over the course of an entire season or an entire career, the league will figure him out pretty quick, but you're right. I think year one, he might make a pretty big splash in year Mm -hmm. one. I don't, I don't have a problem if somebody wants to, I'm a Jabari Smith guy, but I don't have a problem if somebody wants to lay odds and say they're going Chet Holmgren rookie of the year. It's not a bad bet. He's a good player. And there's a lot of people that like the Durant reference. They think there's Kevin Durant when he came out of Texas, couldn't do a bench press at the combine. Right. And got himself strong enough for that body to take punishment. But Kevin Durant is a tall, skinny, athletic guy. And so is Chet Holmgren. So a lot of people see Kevin Durant. I totally see Porzingis. I think yeah, he's going to be good for a while. I'm with and you. I don't think he's going to be able to handle it. But think about what's happened in football. It used to be a Tyreek Hill could never make it in the game because he would get broken in half. And then once the wussification of America took place, now you can't touch a receiver. So Tyreek Hill is this monster and everybody's got every prop in the world on him. It's kind of the same way with Chet Holmgren. When when we watched basketball in the 80s, Oh my God. And then the nineties were worse there. The idea of a rule called a flagrant foul was (laughs) you would be arrested if you did a foul bad enough to actually be a called flagrant. Now you can get a flagrant foul because you've, you breathe on somebody too hard. So the amount of protection Chet Holmgren will get is actually something that could prove me wrong. And he doesn't go through the injuries. I just still see Porzingis and I, I can't stress enough how good Porzingis looked early. And everybody likes to forget that because of what he ended up. And I think Chet Holmgren around year three will start to break down. And by year five, he'll just be another tall, skinny guy that didn't do well. Okay. We're going to pause the basketball for a breaking news story out. Now the Carolina Panthers have acquired Baker Mayfield for a 2024 conditional fifth round pick. I mean, one, Sam Darnold's got to be like, all right. Number two, if they are trading Baker, do you feel like the Browns know something on the Deshaun Watson case that they're going to have Deshaun Watson at some point in 2022? Yes. How many games does he miss, Watson? You're going to think this is crazy. Because of your Patriots, there's a chance he misses zero. I don't think zero, but I think six games is a very real number yeah. for him to yeah. miss. Here's and then him to here's be the back. problem is, is Robert Kraft. Right. Mean, it's, it's gross to talk about. It's true. But the NFL didn't really do any kind of punishment towards Robert Kraft of, of any kind of significance for having a massage that ended sexually. And even though it's around somewhere between 20, 24, 28, or according to the New York times, 66 to one compared to how many times we know about Robert Kraft and what we've heard about Deshaun Watson. If you don't punish him, that's what this federal judge who's in charge of hearing the case is supposed to decide. And she might easily say, okay, Deshaun Watson, you're totally guilty. And therefore I'm, I sentence you to the exact same punishment that Robert Kraft got. 
and, and it's not much. And then you look at how horrible the Washington commander's situation is oh. and how ridiculous that owner is. And he, it was, well, we're going to make your wife run the team. Like that's really happening. <laughs> so when you totally bombshell two different things that according to the commissioner, in front of Congress, it's very simple that the owners are held to a higher standard than the players. Well, if they are, and that's the standard you held Robert Kraft and Daniel Snyder to, you also didn't even know about the Dallas Cowboys media relations director allegedly needing the bathroom so bad that he had no idea the Cowboys cheerleaders locker room bathroom was being used by girls. And he just magically happened to use his phone on his way to the bathroom to record girls in various stages of dress, which are is a direct violation of the personal conduct policy. And the personal conduct policy specifically states you will tell the league under any potential, not if you broke it, if there's a potential violation, if there's an allegation and the Cowboys didn't. So you have these three cases of blatant abuse of the personal conduct policy. And now the NFL says, hammer DeAndre, I'm a, I don't know why I went to DeAndre, Sean Watson. I'm still thinking about him. When, <laughs> yeah. And when said, let's hammer Deshaun Watson. Well, okay. With what precedent? The right. precedent is not to, or fine him. So I don't see how the suspension can really be that long. Yeah. By the way, I love your audience is coming over because they're just figuring out that the Bostonian and the Bostonian versus the book is me. So yeah, I'm a Patriot fan. They're like, Oh no, he's a Patriot fan. Welcome to the Bostonian versus the book guys. But I think what's interesting about the entire case is that the NFL waited for the, for the, the authorities to do something to Watson. I think they wanted to have a criminal case be placed against Watson. And then they could just go off of that and say, all right, there's a criminal case. Here's what we're going to do. But because it's all in civil court and everything you just laid out is completely on point. That's their problem because then they're into their rule book and they have to interpret their own rules. And we know what they've done in the past to powerful owners and teams like the Patriots and the Cowboys, where their owners have gotten into all sorts of trouble. They've looked the other way because of the boys club. That is the ownership group mm -hmm. in the NFL. So now Let's not go through this whole thing like Tom Brady threatened to do where Brady was like, I'll take this all the way to the Supreme Court if I have to. And Brady was like, look, it's fine. It's four games. I'll take it for smashing my phone, but I'm not admitting any culpability. I did nothing wrong in Deflategate and you can't prove I did anything wrong with Deflategate. You just say I smashed my phone. I'll serve four games. We'll go win the championship like the Patriots did. So this now with Watson is. I think they'll, they tried, they won a year. And I think they realized that they can't because their laws don't allow them to suspend him for a year. And I think they'll go for, you know, 10 games. I think it will be dropped down to six or even four games. And I know the Browns have been working with Watson, the entire OTAs in the off season. And that was Dave and I talked about it a ton. Like you don't have Deshaun Watson running with the ones, Unless you think Deshaun Watson's going to be at some point with the ones this mm -hmm. season, you're not breaking him in for 2023. You're you've been told something from the league that like, look, you can give this guy the biggest guaranteed contract in NFL quarterback history. And we're totally cool. You can do that because at some point he's going to be on the field for you in 2022. And now the trading of Mayfield, even though he said both sides need to move on. It is interesting that now this trade goes down here in July. Baker's clearly has to has to pass a physical. Most likely he will. Who is the starting quarterback game one for Carolina in your mind? Mayfield or Sam Darnold? I think it's awfully hard to be able to keep 
Darnold away when he's the one that had a year in the offense and he's the one that had OTAs and he's the one that had minicamp and to beat him out straight in training camp in the era of only three preseason games when you only take three quarters of the preseason and I don't mean 75% I mean three 15 minute blocks of the preseason seriously that's an awful lot to expect Baker Mayfield to be able to beat him out just in practice alone. I like Sam Darnold. They picked up the option when they traded for Sam Darnold. The Browns traveled to Carolina in week one. So in case you wondered, the league doesn't want any more drama in week one. We have Seattle seeing Russell Wilson playing with Denver in week one. And now we have potentially Baker Mayfield playing with the Panthers taking on the Browns in week one. I, I think you're right because of the contract that they, did, they picked up with Sam Darnold. It, it is a little tough to say, okay, we're going to have Darnold sit and make 24 million. I think it is and have him be the backup, but they put them, they put themselves in this position. I, I don't really know if they don't believe in Darnold though, or if they did believe in Darnold. Why do you make this trade? Like, why do you bring in Baker Mayfield, a guy who obviously has played at times at a high level at the quarterback spot in, in this league. So I mean, I'm assuming they're going to bring him in for competition or maybe to let a fire under the ass of, of Sam Darnold and make him go and play hard. But I mean, this is for a fifth round pick. Uh, <laughs> this has to hurt it just a little bit for, from a Baker Mayfield position. Do you like Baker as a talent in the league? No. no. Um, is it the picks or is it the injuries? What yes, is it about? Him? Yes. And, and, and yes, I, I think that he does not have the football IQ needed of a top-notch quarterback. Now, you sit him in a room and you watch film with him. I've been told by millions of people he knows what he's talking about. But when you actually get him there on the field, I think there's this is a great explanation of the true gap between the athleticism of, at the time, still together Big 12 and the NFL, that Baker Mayfield actually looked like somewhat of an athlete when he was doing it at Oklahoma, you drop him in Cleveland and he looks like the second coming of Bernie Kosar's ability to run. And so now that plotting it's forced to have the brainwaves to be able to see coverage faster, know what the defense is doing and actually throw guys open instead of waiting. Are you open? Are you open? Okay. Yes, you are. And by the time you throw it, they're not open anymore. Or because you waited so long, you're now throwing a pressured pass with a some with somebody in your face and then that leads to another loss of a bad throw this is a baker mayfield that i just don't think has enough tools to be anything but a good backup because i think he's a good guy but right. and, I, and i think he's a decent leader in the sense of guys like to be around him but i don't think he is one of the top 20 quarterbacks in the world and i think if you're truly going to compete you have to have a top 20 quarterback now if you're down in the 18 19 20 area well then you're winning on defense and running the football and other things in, unless we're talking about the Aaron Rodgers, Pat Mahomes and players like that, that can carry you to a championship. But with Baker, I, I think he's 22, 24, 25th best quarterback in, in the world. And I don't think he's good enough to be able to lead you very far. So some more info on the trade, the Browns will pay Baker Mayfield 10.5 million this year, which means they took 8 million off the cap for themselves in cash and cap space. Panthers will pay Mayfield 5 million Mayfield agreed to trim $3.5 million off of his salary. So Mayfield goes from making 19 million to 15, five, the Browns are paying 10, five of it. So he can play for the Panthers. It's not bad. I mean, Baker gets his money and 
you know, yeah, I don't know. I think it's a, it feels like a win for Carolina. Does it not to get a, I mean, I, I don't right. know. I, I don't like Sam Darnold at all. I, I like Baker Mayfield. I don't like the picks, but I like the moxie. I like the toughness. I like mm-hmm. the leadership. I don't like the commercials. I think he totally put himself in a bad position by doing and becoming completely overexposed too quickly. And look, if people want to pay you and I both have been in sales and, you know, in, in, in that spot where people are paying us for endorsements. So we understand what that means. And when someone comes to you and offers you money to endorse their product, if you believe in it, you can go ahead and take the money. But at some point, how much is too much and how much exposure is too much exposure. I think people got sick and tired of Baker and he was, he was everywhere, but you know, if he goes to Carolina and he's the starting quarterback in week one, I mean, man alive, that might be something. I, I would say the real winner in this is Ian Rappaport. If you haven't know, if you haven't heard about the media on media crime in which Josina Anderson of CBS said that the Seahawks have a major target on Baker Mayfield and Ian Rappaport was on with Pat McAfee on his podcast and basically said, no, they don't. This is, this is not a focus of theirs. And really that they, they'll talk to Cleveland. And if it happens, it happens, but this isn't something that they really have spent a lot of time on. And then Josina Anderson came back when asked about the Ian Rappaport report and said in her post report of Ian Rappaport that that's totally inaccurate. Now, normally when you disagree with a member of the media, you'll say, I have a lot of respect for him. I know how hard he works. (laughs) But Well, my sources are telling me this and you stick to your guns, but you do so in a way of, hey, this is a hard business for her to actually say Ian Rappaport's report was inaccurate. Well, Maybe she was right, but if the Seahawks were really focused on Baker Mayfield, why is he in Carolina? It's a great point. All right. This, I did not tell you, Doug, that we were doing this. So this is a bit of a, of a surprise of this is your life, Doug Franz. For the first time, I think in 15 years. Please don't tell me you're having my mother on. No. Okay. For the first time in 15, in 15 years, I believe this trio have not been on a broadcast together what's up let's bring him on he is now in nashville tennessee he is one mr dan bach joining us here on the bostonian versus the book now doug go look at your screen for a second so you can at least see dan for just one second can you see him still ugly (laughs) (laughs) well this was this was the lineup on wump 730 the ump for three years me in the morning dan middays Doug in the afternoon. Dan, how are you, my friend? How the, how's, the, how's the moving going? Oh, man, moving sucks. Uh, literally the worst thing uh, to ever have to do. So hopefully I don't have to do it again for a while. But this is absolutely incredible. I have not spoken to you guys in this sort of formal broadcasting setting in a long time. And you guys still look like pros with your <laughs> with your microphones and and backgrounds. And here I am with you know crappy iPods and uh, a very echoey office. So well, we're well, you know, you guys middle management nice. now, but you're big time <laughs> management. Like you actually yeah. have letters with your name now. So that's you don't even need a microphone. You could just tell other people to bring you grapes and microphones. Yeah, tell everyone about yeah. the new job though, Dan, because people may not know where you moved over to now. Yeah, no, it, it's been a crazy ride. Um, you know, started a DFS podcast like 10 years ago at rotogrinders.com before DFS was anything. DraftKings didn't even exist. So and admittedly, you know, we were, I ripped you and told you to get a job. I accept it. You, you did. You did. And once again, uh, I made the right decision not listening to you. And uh, 
we, you know, the company obviously blew up when DFS blew up and blew up uh, in a good way, by the way, not, not a bad way. Blew in, up in a, a, yeah. In a very good way, in a yeah. very good way, it became a very lucrative business. And we actually sold the business to a company called Better Collective, which is a big affiliate company out of Copenhagen. And that deal finalized at the end of this past year. And two of the co-founders said, hey, I need a break from DFS. been doing this for 10 years. And uh, they approached me about running the company. So, uh, you know, talk about from mailroom to corner office. Uh, it was basically, you know, from the crappy podcast studio that was my bedroom to a corner office now in Nashville, Tennessee, booming city. Uh, I, I'm so pumped here because we've got Roto Grinders and then we've also do sports betting with uh, scoresandodds.com. So we've uh, obviously ventured into that world as well. And, and Matt, you know, we've been, I've been passionate about this stuff going way back to our years, even in Alabama. I remember sitting in the press box. I don't know if I was supposed to do this, but I had plenty of bets on the game that I was covering. And I'd be sitting there rooting in the press box, which you're not supposed to do, but mainly for my bets to win or, you know, cover. And uh, now everything's gone full circle and, and we can do it legally through a good portion of the year. I, I got to tell you guys, I don't know how you did that because one of the major reasons why I am super minnow in gambling and, and not a shark and going back to those days in Alabama, I think listeners will lose it when they hear this story. All three of us are the product of a man that is the most brilliant 26 tooth man in the history of the world. And he told us all point blank that if we are the greatest talk show host, best ratings of all time, and we don't hit our sales goals, we're fired. Yep. But if we hit our sales goals, he'd be glad to help us become good talk show hosts <laughs> if we want to. So we had this package to sell because Alabama is college football, but we were then an affiliate of the Tennessee Titans. And he said that we're going to put out this package that if the Titans win and you advertise on the Titans, you pay. But anytime the Titans lose, then you actually don't have to pay your bill. And they would send these bills out. Well, the, it ended up being for me back in the days where I was making $18,000 a year that this way, I think that's what I make now, to be honest. This is what's <laughs> amazing about this is if they lost, I lost around $70. That was huge to lose $70 in commission. So I'm at a stinking preseason game covering it for the media. Who cares about the preseason? Well, I do. And Al Del Greco misses a field goal with 30 seconds left in the preseason. The Titans lose. I lose $70 in commission. So who do I make a beeline to in the post game? And it actually affected me. So I'm sitting here. I'm the only guy in the media that's just hammering Al Del Greco. How did this happen? Well, did you focus? Did you do? Did you go through your stuff? And I'm, I'm grilling like everybody else's. It's a preseason like, game, dude. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, it's all right. And and yet for me, he cost me seventy bucks. And this is now in two thousand and one, so this is twenty one years ago. So it's a little bit through inflation. It's a little more. Well, now money I than... need the seventy dollars, so I'm really thinking about it. <laughs> so now it's a, it's a little bit of a different world. But yeah, I, I mean, all three of us work for a man named Bill Dunavant. And the last time I saw Bill was at my wedding, and you know, him and Mary, his lovely wife, came came up and 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 they stay in touch with me. Facebook is a is a really kind of a cool deal, and and people can stay in touch. But it is crazy that the three of us being together, and then the three of us going on, Dan and I going over into the gambling space 
space. Now, Doug, you coming over to the gambling space. I think in 2002, 20 years ago, if somebody had walked into that little shack of a building in Athens, Alabama and say, hey, by the way, in 20 years, all three of you guys are going to be doing a show talking about sports betting together. And if you might go, what the hell are you talking about? And how did it go legal all of a sudden? And people are cool with sports betting, right? No, I would have assumed well, all three of us failed and we ended up in some swanky <laughs> bar, not on the strip that's barely hanging on. And it's like those tired lounge acts. And then we were we were doing a show and setting up our own remotes to talk gambling. I would have assumed that's what happened. Well, one of the greatest things I got to give Matt kudos for this because he was forward thinking in this. You got to remember they're really what like offshore sports books at the time. There wasn't like this mentality like we have now. Like there, there was no regulation in place. There was there was nothing that said you couldn't bet on them, but there was nothing that said you could. That has since changed. But at this time, you know, they were able to advertise in the U.S. And Matt had we're not going to say who it was, but they had a uh, a spot like I on that show. Like he, I had yeah. two. Lee Sterling was brought. Well, Lee Sterling was sponsored by one. They brought him on, and I had another offshore that came in and sponsored. And then when the poker world blew up, I got screwed. I lost a ton of money when that whole thing happened. All my billing. I had two big football clients, and they all went away right uh, on a, on, a, on that Monday morning. The government shut them down. And they all disappeared. And I was out, I think I was at like a like almost like a thousand dollars in commission. It was wow. a huge blow. I got so rude. <laughs> but you missed the best part of the story, Matt, was not just that they do commercials on your show, but you set up like a bikini contest oh, that's at, right. one the, at one of the clubs. Wasn't was it at, wasn't it at Hoppers things. at the uh, whatever yes. hotel that was? Wow, that's amazing. I've not thought about that. I don't bikini remember contest. where it was exactly, but all I remember is it, it was, was like the greatest thing ever. I I don't think it might have been Hooters, but it was outside wherever it was is it was because I, 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 I have a, a picture celebrity of it. judge. Yes, yeah, me I and got you. to be a celebrity judge for a bikini contest in Huntsville, Alabama which doesn't sound that glamorous, but oh, at well, the time when you're like 22 years old, that's about the greatest thing you could have ever asked for. <laughs> and I, I totally remember Matt setting this up and thinking to myself, how, how the heck is this Happening? going? Like, how is our owner letting us do this? And uh, we realized the checks cashed. So that's, that's all. That it was, and, and Mary was, as we all know, Cash in advance. They all paid first of the month. They had to come in, cash in advance. If it wasn't there, they don't go on the air. No money, they'll get on the air. So I always had to make sure that that offshore had a check first thing being wired because they didn't cut checks. They wired money in Western Union style to get in, to get it paid so their spots could run on the radio station. That's, Did you have to yeah. go to Western Union? I'm glad I could give you that memory because you totally forgot about it, Matt. Totally you totally forgot. forgot. You have so many memories that I don't have. It's amazing. I love to – every time we talk to you, you come up with a new memory that I forget. They're like, oh, my gosh, that actually did happen. I forgot that that happened. And absolutely, yes, Doug, I had to go in, – in, in the very beginning, I had to go to Western Union and actually get the check from That's Western awesome. Union and bring that – eventually, it got to the point where they could – I don't know how they did it. They ended up getting a, we had an account or something because it was consistent enough that Mary believed it was real. And so we set up some account. So they, got, they got paid directly or I didn't have to go be the middleman. So it made it a little bit easier, but yeah, that, that was when, I mean, there was no thought of, you know, so how is this offshore operating exactly? It was just like, pay the money. And Alabama was like, yeah, take it in. And Bill was like, for that's a gray area. There's no real like issues. So we, so we took it for as long as we could. 
And then we couldn't take it anymore once they shut everything down with credit card payments and and, and whatnot. But I, I think for you, Doug, what, you were kind of like the Papa Bear for Dan and I when we came in. We, we learned a lot from you and kind of went through the whole process of, of adjusting to living in Alabama and working for the Donovans, which in the beginning, Dan and I both were like, we're working for someone we want to like, we couldn't stand working for. And then I became, as I grew up and realized this guy's a brilliant person. I should learn as much as I possibly could. I quote, Bill D all the time. Like to mm -hmm. this day, I, I quote Bill D to my kid. Like I, I, I quote him for, forever. But what was it like for you when the two of us came rolling through? You knew Dan from college, but you know, it, you had two kind of youngins coming in all hot and bothered about living in Alabama and working in sports radio. Well, for me, this sounds funny. It's market 119, but it was my big break. Uh, I don't know what the market number is of where Dan and I went to college, but we joked it was market 462. And <laughs> so that's where I came from. And now I'm coming to it, it was, at the time Huntsville was 119. And I'm thinking I'm actually moving up this big. And it was 21 hours of syndication. So I was the only guy doing the talk show. And I felt like, all right, I'm, I'm carrying this thing. And I don't even know if you guys know this but they tried local once and it was about six months earlier and they had one guy trying to be the one afternoon show host and he eventually got fired because every now and then you just get really mad at one of those charity events where you play pickup basketball against faculty of a local school and he punched a teacher oh nice <laughs> Okay. So they got rid of this guy and then they wanted to wait a while before they tried again. So I'm the next guy. So the town is so on one, on one situation, the town is so happy I'm here because they have local sports talk radio, but the other half is like, okay, first of all, you're a Yankee. So I'm not thrilled about that. You won't talk NASCAR. So I'm, I'm not thrilled <laughs> about <was> that. <laughs> and then on top of it, you're some guy that I, it, it, you're either going to be terrible and I don't like you, or even if you're good, I'm not going to get attached because then you'll leave us and you're not going to stay in Huntsville. So I had those battles to let everybody know I'm not going to punch a teacher and I'm a good dude. But my oldest daughter was only a pound when she was born and the city rallied around me like crazy in the year 2000. And that just changed everything. So now I'm a kind of a beloved guy in the city. So it's easy for me to say, Hey, we have this guy, his name's Matt and you're going to really like him. Even though I didn't like you, I could tell other people to like you and I knew it would work out great. But Dan, I don't know if I think you know this, but Matt was hired to do your job in middays, but uh, like, I don't know, 72 hours before Matt got there, they fired the morning guy. So then it's like Matt shows up, gets out of his car. By the way, you're doing mornings now. Oh, and then so he, we weren't going to hire a third person until Matt was established. And then finally, we brought Dan on. Oh, yeah, that morning show clip, I'll never do it again, man. That was 4 a.m. <laughs> wake up calls. That was a great lesson of working my ass off but not enjoying it. Answer this question. You two may know the answer. So I, to this day, I get DMs from people in Huntsville, Alabama, or, or either you know Decatur or Athens or whatnot, talking about the t-shirt remotes and what that did to their college football experience. Whose idea was it? We know Dan sold it to Quiznos the most. I had the connection. <laughs> I had the person who, who drew it, and it was Bildi's daughter and then somebody else who I knew who came in and did the drawings. Was it your idea, Doug? Whose idea was the t-shirt remotes? Because those $730 was an expensive price tag. 
but people paid it because the t-shirts were gone in the first 30 minutes of your remotes. It was 100% a Bill D idea. And oh. it, you, you mentioned before, you know, the guy, you never expect him to be as brilliant as he is. And it shows you a lesson in judging books by their cover because he negotiated a rights deal. The news station on our four station cluster, we simulcasted Auburn football and Bill Donovan was still angry at Alabama years ago for pulling the Alabama um, affiliate rights from his cluster and gave it to somebody else. So when that other station did crappy with it, they begged Bill D to take him back. And he waited three years, waited out Alabama. And what's amazing is this guy is a hardcore Alabama fan, but business first. And eventually they begged so hard. This is before Nick Saban, when you could tell Alabama what to do. He said, give me the rights to your logo. I get full rights to your logo. And Alabama is insane. Right. So he already in had it world. in his head. I'm going to make these t-shirts with the Alabama logo. Then there's a cartoon of whatever the elephant's go- doing to the other team's mascot. And it is, it is a lesson I still talk about to other people because I had read a stat that the average listener to my show made $68,000 in the South. That, that 20 years ago is great money. I'm thinking my people are never going to show up and buy a t-shirt. So I sold one t-shirt remote. You hated it. (laughs) I didn't believe it. I didn't believe in it at all. And I thought this was stupid. And then what made it worse is you guys sold them all out, mostly Dan, (laughs) and it's my show. So I've got to set up the remote for free. Sometimes Dan's there. Sometimes he's not. And even if he is there, he's dealing with the client and say, oh, I'm so glad you bought this. Thank you very much. And here I am setting all the equipment up for, in a sense, free remotes that I'm doing. And just to Rub it in every show. There was a line of a hundred people in Alabama waiting till my show starts at three o'clock just to get a t-shirt, a yep. t-shirt. So needless to say in year two, I sold eight of them. I was sick of it. And I wasn't going to have that happen again. 73 t-shirts were that's because we were seven thirty the ump at the time. So we did 73. We had to do double we had to double it up sometimes. It got to be so big and so we had to do one or two a week because we had to print. I mean, it was, people would go like, man, those t-shirt remotes were so crazy. I had people who had full seasons who yeah. had like the entire year. They came to every single one of those. This is when Bama sucked. Could you imagine if, yeah. if Bama was good? Like doing it right now, like today, if we're doing a t-shirt remote in Alabama with those same logos that we had access to, it would be, it would be ridiculous right now. It's funny because people often say to me, hey, don't you don't you wish like Alabama was good when you were doing sports talk radio in Alabama? And my answer to that is no way, because it was way more fun dealing with the drama that we did around Alabama football than it would be just winning freaking national championships left and right. Now, I will say sports talk. Radio I don't know, Dan. Right you and now. I did. Hold on. You and I took an RV to five seasons of Alabama football. We lost, we right. watched a lot of shitty football. We, I mean, I think oh. it would have been really fun to watch national championship bowl appearances and watching them win every year. I don't know if I agree with you on that point. Well, but, but I mean, how many times in, in the history of sports talk radio, do you get to talk about 
the head coach of Alabama allegedly sleeping with strippers down in the Gulf Coast during and the I had lunch trip. with him I mean, two days and I had lunch with him two days before he did it. He was next to me two days at a lunch meeting at a lunch table. Mike Price, he was on his way to Florida when I had that in Tuscaloosa. And then two days later he gets found, you know, the 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 woman of the night working the credit card. And that's how we all found out. <laughs> But that's like radio gold. I mean, that's like, this is like pre-message board. Their message right. boards were like a thing. This is pre-Twitter yeah. and no social media out there. And it's like the only place people would get information were message boards and sports talk radio. Right. And we could just have just a jolly good time talking about this, speculating the next coach, firing that coach before they even coach a single game like Mike Shula. I mean, right. it was – to me, I thought for like talk radio side of things – it was tremendous. You're right. We saw some horrible football. I, I, I think Northern Illinois like beat Alabama one yes. game we went to or something. It was so yes. bad. It was but awful. It, it, it also made for like doing our jobs very fun. I felt because here's the thing you got to remember: it was like three of us. We did our own shows three hours a day. Zero producers. Okay, we didn't have producers. We didn't have engineers. We, we answered our own phones. We, we, we put people directly on the air. They called in. We just hit the button, and they went straight on the air with no delay. And, the and I don't know about you that. guys, but if you cussed on my show, you were suspended for two weeks because <laughs> I didn't have a delay. So that and yeah. you know, what was hilarious is everybody honored that because yeah. they like, how do I enforce it when I don't even know if you've called <laughs> back? But everybody, oh, okay, yep, I'm banned for two weeks. Yeah. Oh, that, how did we allow? How were we allowed to go on the radio for three hours a day to do that with no producer and no net? It was all just go ahead, guys, say whatever you want, no delay. Have let the audience go directly on the air. You have no clue what they're going to say to you, and yet we did that. And for me, I mean, I'll give you this, Dan. You're right about one thing. The Albert Means story to this day is something yeah. that I reference with the Alabama staring down the barrel of the death penalty conversation. I mean, that Gary Parrish, who now has gone on to CBS Sports fame, and I mean, he broke the story with the the commercial appeal. He was on my show once a week in the middle of that story. And that, I mean, I'm still friends with Gary to this day for that reason. And it's just been, it's kind of crazy, but you're right. We did live through some really crazy times with Alabama. And now to see where they are after all of that, I mean, Saban comes in and becomes, you you know, the new Bear Bryant. It's, it's a debate, but I mean, I'll say this. I'm angry at a guy named Warren St. John. Warren St. John wrote the book, Rammer, Jammer, Yellow Hammer. I had dinner with him when he was in Vegas, uh, so when he was in uh, Huntsville to promote, to promote this book. He, for one year, took an RV to every Alabama game and wrote about all the characters. Dan and I's stories destroy that guy's story. <laughs> Kill that guy's story. We had so many, we, we have so many better stories of crazy people and wacko time and Dan running things over with the RV and the RV st- stalling out in weird places. It broke down in Baton Rouge. We, we, we got stuck there for a day. I mean, it, it, I reference that literally once a month to somebody yeah. of like the, the most fun. Somebody let me take an RV without insurance or gas and drive around the South. And that was okay. Yeah. I mean, and and I think this is one thing that I, I totally appreciate about that time in our lives, especially with what we still do and try to, you know, broadcast. And you see the evolution of what we're doing now is back then, like to be able to get like literally 15 hours of on air time in your twenties was absolutely absurd. That did not happen. Like we got, I think the, 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 the success we had was totally built on just reps where today 
it's very different. It's not that hard to go ahead and start your own podcast. I mean, Doug even did it. If Doug can figure out how to do it, <laughs> then anybody can do it. But back in the day, that didn't exist. Like no the way. only way you were being a broadcaster is if you got on air somewhere. And for for them to give us those plat that platform to do it for the amount of time that they did uh, was incredible and really just catapulted us in terms of the professionalism that we could you know, that, that we, that we big professionals that we became was because of that time, because it just wasn't available in that era of, of broadcasting. And, you know, that's the thing where, yeah, it was difficult. It was hard, but I guarantee you that none of us would have had the success we had if we didn't do that. I, and I teach, that's I teach, where I, Oh yeah. Yeah. To, to, to my kids at UNLV, I say that all the time that like the reps are the most important thing. I mean, that, that is make a mistake in your twenties. Now we made mistakes in, in our twenties actually on the radio, but make the mistake, you know, doing a YouTube video or make a mistake doing a live broadcast on college radio or, or whatever it is, because you're going to be able to recover from it. And we all made, I mean, all of us made mistakes in Alabama. We all made, we all kind of cut our teeth down there and realized that, okay, this is a chance to do something big. You know, Doug, you went on to Kansas city and then on to Phoenix and stayed there for 15 years Did the longest running morning show in sports radio history there in with, with you and Wolf. And I mean, Dan, you've gone on, you were on Sirius satellite radio for how many years? And now you're running a major corporation company you know, in, in sports betting. I've got my, what's going on props.com. And I, I mean, Doug was one of my first hires. I was like, yes, I want an Arizona podcast and I want Doug and I'm put him on with a, a pro gambler that I know really well. And you know, that podcast is doing really well and growing every single week. And, it's just really fun. And then this show, obviously launching in December with Dave Sherapan and I with the Bostonian versus the book, it all traces back to that little closet that we all broadcast. Actually, Dan, were you there with the closet or is it just Doug and I? No, I got the, no, I got the Mac daddy studio. Oh man. Again, didn't have a call screener, but still, you had a board. Doug and I had these gigantic knobs that we had to, and we had to walk through. It's worse. We had to walk through a different studio, <laughs> studio to get to our studio and our clocks were different. So <laughs> if I had to go to the bathroom, I'm now walking behind a live talk show, which you get out of that's my studio out of his studio to the bathroom. And then I have to walk back and then he's got to do this number where he scoots my head like yes. this and he's talking <laughs> like that because I'm, uh, I'm interrupting him. But I think everybody watching or listening right now is dying for me to ask this one question of the two of you, because since I was kind of the Papa bear, I didn't ask in Alabama because I didn't want to know, but now assuming your children are listening and it doesn't matter. Did you ever have attractive young ladies with bright futures in the RV? Never. We never yeah. did. We, wow. were no, we never crossed that yeah. line. Boy, yeah. are you yeah. guys boring. Mainly because, mainly because I had like zero game. And right. I, you All know, of us that, did. That was, <laughs> None of us did. I, I mean, <laughs> I moved to Bama with a girlfriend. So I, I had a girlfriend in Alabama for the first year. And then I lived with someone we worked with for the other two years. So like it, it wasn't like going to be something that for me, I was not like I was in serious relationships pretty much almost the whole time I was down there in Alabama. So, and then I left Alabama in a serious relationship with somebody that I met in Alabama when I moved to Omaha. So like in my twenties, I was kind of a serial dater in my twenties. And then in my thirties, that's when I really let loose and did not really have many serious relationships in my thirties until I got married, obviously. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I, 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 I just, you didn't have the confidence and swagger, which is funny to say, because like looking back at it, like it would have been have. like amazing <laughs> to go to these college bars and be like, 
hey, I'm on the radio before Alabama football. Why don't you come back to my RV? And it probably would have had like a 90% hit rate if I did that. But I just had zero confidence whatsoever. And I actually had a little bit of hair back then too. Not a lot, a little. Um, so, you know, it's uh, it, it's funny. The older you get, the more confidence, you know, you, you have and you look back and, and oh, would yeah. have probably done things a little bit differently, but no, Doug, I, I, I'm our friend TJ. Say we didn't. Our, our friend yeah. TJ would would go and, and and be more of the the hunter, and he would be, but he never brought anybody back to the RV, mostly because I wouldn't allow it. I, I wouldn't allow it. I'd be like, you're not taking a girl back to the RV. It's a small RV. We're all sleeping there tonight. Like it's just it's 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 not going to do this. It's not going to be a, a wise thing for us to, to to allow. But I mean, we had. I mean, crazy drunken nights. I mean, we were partying in $2 million RVs and, you know, it was, it was just a crazy experience. And, and we became kind of known in the Alabama fan base as, Oh yeah, you're those young kids from the radio in Huntsville. Right. Cause yeah. we had this big yep. yellow gigantic thing. We did the show on the road by a cell phone. Like we had the cell phone bag and we had to get cell phone connection. We did a pregame show via a cell phone connection where you would split it out from the bag phone and have two headphones and two microphones. And that's how we did the show. I mean, it was so rinky dink. It was ridiculous, but we had sponsors that would sponsor us and give us money to do it. And I mean, we were the number one show. Uh, We dominated Saturdays. We were the highest in the ratings. I don't know if you guys knew how it worked, but it was from 10 in the morning until 10 in the evening. And we carried Alabama football, which the rest of the world is going to laugh at at the time had a pregame show longer than the game. They had a four hour pregame show. You guys started two hours before their pregame show. And it was my job to fill in any other time between 10 in the morning and 10 in the afternoon. I think it was Dan, you sold to a furniture store, big recliner chairs that sat in the studio. And one of you sold one of the famous chicken places to, uh, I think it was a Zaxby's, but I can't remember what it was. It was was the place Uh, in Athens. it was a place roosters. Come on. I would sit there in these chairs and I would be there literally for 12 hours sitting in a recliner, watching games and eating roosters while I waited for the game to end or during your pregame show, whenever your cell phone crapped out, I had to immediately hurry up and fill back time. Oh. Sounds like a pretty good life. That's Seriously, right? Because <laughs> we drove. We're the ones driving five hours in the middle of the you know the, the morning, getting up on Saturday, yeah. driving. The two getting, of you have been oh. to the Grove. I have not. True. Yes, we have. And oh therefore, my you win. I don't want to hear about driving. That is true. But yeah, then Matt, Matt, got, Matt got a ticket driving uh, too fast in a uh, in a uh, in a school zone in the army. Uh, I got tickets. I mean, my gosh, <laughs> pulled over. I got. I mean, we 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 just. I mean there were things in that RV, like the driving, we'd be like really concerned about like gas. We'd be concerned about crashing into, we ran over everything. Like if it was on a road, we hit it street <laughs> signs, cones. Like we're just like, Oh no, we dented it. Are they going to notice that we dented it? Uh, just hand it back in. So hopefully they don't know that we dented it. And like just all, I mean, they literally we'd show up on a Friday. The RV place would give us the keys. We had a different RV every single week. Sometimes it was luxurious. Sometimes it was a piece of junk. And we were like, <laughs> is this thing going to start? Are we going to get down there? And this was back pre 9-11. So we had, we, we, we had the opportunity to, well, like, I mean, uh, when did we, that was a one year, right? That was pre 9-11. Because we yeah, had the ability, before. Yeah. we had one year because it let they let us on the quad 
the first year. So we drove the RV physically onto the quad in Tuscaloosa. And then they shut that whole thing down and we had to park somewhere else. But that, that first year was pretty wild because literally we were set up next to the Alabama broadcast. Yeah. And so we had our show and then we, they went right to their show. And so we had like this, you know, association being linked in that really caused Bama people in Huntsville to get all kind of like proud and be like, Ooh, we are, you know, we're, we're, we're not just this, this space town that everyone kind of brushes off as that's where the Ohio and Michigan people live. We actually <laughs> have people who care about Alabama football now. So it was, it was very cool. All right, Dan, thank you, man. This was a ton of fun. I'm glad you popped in. Uh, the walk down memory lane is, is super, super cool. We got to do it again soon. All right. No problem, guys. Thanks for having me. And uh, <laughs> I just can't believe Doug's doing a podcast. Yes, he I is. Can't believe he figured yes, it out. He is. Can't believe he figured it two. out. Like He's honestly, doing two. Oh. I've got a ring light and a camera set up and a tripod and the whole bit. He's all good and a pro. You're gonna be doing TikTok videos before we know it, Doug. Let's do it. It's on Instagram already. So why not get them on TikTok? It'd be beautiful. We'll do a dance video with Doug Franz. Dan, thank you. All right, thanks, guys. Dan Bach from the Better Collective joining us here on the Bostonian versus the book. That was a lot of fun. And and really, look, those stories are all real. All those things really did happen. Oh yeah. In Huntsville, Alabama. A very different, a different time, but a fun time at that. All right. Uh, let me ask you a little bit about this Arizona State, Arizona. Pac-12, Big 12 situation. Does anyone care in Phoenix this going on? Is oh, this, yeah. Is a topic? Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's not. Here's what's weird is if you haven't experienced SEC football, you don't understand it. Amen to and, that. Say that, and, for the, say that for your Big Ten friends back at home because yeah, they don't seem to get I am that. from Ohio, so I thought I understood big-time college football. And even though I'm not an Ohio State fan, I've been to Ohio State games. And when I went to the SEC and when I saw that level of passion, you know, I, I'm not joking when if I was going to be unprofessional and lazy in mid-June – I might open my microphone as a talk show host and just say, I think Auburn's going to win this year. And then boom, you know, I mean, my show's over. It's like three hours of that. And people care that much. It's, it's, you can't even imagine if you haven't lived through it. So to your question in Arizona, you can't tell somebody you're not as big of a fan as blank. They just don't believe you, but it's 100% true. So it's a huge deal here. What's going on, but I know it's not the same as if this would be a team leaving the sec. This is a seismic shift. Number one, you cannot heap enough blame on Larry Scott with the worst college conference commissioner in the history of conference commissioners. He was a disaster and he set this whole thing up to fail. And number two, you got to put it on the university president at Arizona state because he was the biggest fan of Larry Scott. And he was the one that defended him like crazy. And that's, what's very weird about Dr. Michael Crow. He is a brilliant college president. What he's done here at Arizona state is incredible. It is an economic force. Mm -hmm. It fights it out with uh, Ohio state as the number one enrollment wise public institution in the country. Yet, even though as long as you have a pulse, you can get into ASU in certain parameters, they have another element called Barrett honors, which is almost like its own mini Stanford. And they have crazy high standards to get into Barrett. And and it's all these little pockets to really own the entire state of Arizona. So this man, if he touches academics, 
it is Midas. It works every time. And if the man, if you judge him by the things he touches sports wise or says Mm. sports wise, he should be fired. I mean, it's that stark of a contrast. So now with where you're sitting, my belief what's happening is the Pac-12 is looking, is talking to television. And I bet you because of the location, they're specifically talking to Apple. And it's about how can we save this thing? And what other schools could we add that you even remotely care about? And if they get an offer that's strong enough, then Oregon and UW will think about staying. But Oregon and UW, not even quietly, are knocking at the Big Ten. They're begging to be allowed into the Big Ten. And there's this really stupid academic group called AAU, and it has yep. nothing to do with high school I basketball. I don't know if it's stupid. I mean, it's, it, it, it is a pretty it's, – it's about like-minded universities and how they fund yeah, their academics and how they – it, well, everything's made up in life. Nothing's well, real. Yeah. So, so, I mean, everything is made up, but it's, it's accredited universities where they have a certain standard academics. Right. They have a certain graduation standard, certain GPA standard. I mean, it's how Nebraska got into the Big Ten. So, they've used yes. the Big Ten has used the AAU as a very big measuring stick as to who should be in and who should That's not. That's who they want. Well, USC, UCLA's got it. Correct. Uh, Utah has it. So that's kind of interesting to look at, even though do you really need to add Salt Lake City as a market? I don't know. And Oregon and UW both have it. So that's huge. Now, here's where it gets weird in Arizona. U of A has that designation. Arizona State does not. So I don't see them wanting U of A. But it is attractive as a basketball program. And there's enough U of A graduates in Phoenix that you can't use the argument, well, they don't want Tucson. Well, it doesn't matter where your school is. If you have a ton of graduates in a major city, you still get that major city. But I don't see U of A being in the Big Ten. And I see UW and and Oregon doing whatever it takes to get out. So because of that, I totally believe Arizona State and Arizona will be members of the Big 12. Okay, so if you see the four or six teams joining the Big 12, does the Pac-12 survive? No, no. So what happens to Oregon State? What happens to the teams that are going to be left behind here? Stanford's, Cal, the, what, what do they do? You know, maybe I, should, I shouldn't I should be so quick. It won't survive in its present form, but it'll basically become the Mountain West with a title called the Pac-12. And then the big thing becomes, I think, the Rose Bowl f- pulls from the from the Pac-12. So oh. you'll have Washington State, Oregon State, Boise State, probably Cal, but not Stanford, maybe San Diego State, Hawaii. They would go the new Pac-12. Where's Stanford going? I don't have any idea. I think Stanford Stanford is another team. They have the AAU designation. They have the San Francisco market. And they've been playing Northwestern a lot over the last couple of years in different sporting events. Uh, And now that with USC going, I could really see Stanford making a play in the Big Ten liking that to be able to boost up their academics and say they got Stanford. And it's also with Stanford and USC, it's two more teams that Notre Dame plays on a regular basis. And I I think the Big Ten would love to pick up Notre Dame. And the only way that happens is... It'll happen if Notre Dame feels like we can't make a a playoff without being in a conference. So that's what the Big Ten has to do is make Notre Dame think you've got no chance. It's kind of funny. I think the SEC does not want Notre Dame 
but I think they're going to side with Notre Dame to try to keep them independent and say, no, this is unfair. This is football tradition. And we in the SEC, we know tradition. So leave uh, Notre Dame a spot at the table for the college football playoff. That way, Notre Dame doesn't join the Big Ten. Yeah, I think Notre Dame is going to be forced. I think we're going to be left with three super conferences when it's all said and done. They've talked That's about That's amazing. Four. I only think two. Do you, who do I you think, think is going to be number three? ACC? I think the Big 12 is going to be a super conference. Okay. I, I, I think when, when, you, when you have – look, the travel is going to be so significant. Remember, when the Big 10 was expanding to Nebraska, there were people bitching about the travel to Omaha and to right. Lincoln. They didn't like it. They're like, man, we got to fly. We're in the Big Ten. We fly all the way to Omaha, then take a bus to Lincoln or charter way all the way into Lincoln and go in. You know, our volleyball teams and our softball teams, it's a lot of expense to fly commercial into these places. Well, now you've got two teams in LA and you're going right. three hours further plane ride wise west of Nebraska, west of Lincoln to join, to pick up USC and UCLA. There's no way the big 10 stopping. There's no way there's going to be two outliers and just two teams out there. They're going to be picking up others. That's why I was referencing Stanford going, that's really interesting. So Stanford could wind up joining the big 10 and then you find another potential in the, in the region and you'd have four and then you could do the whole West coast swing. If you're a big 10 team, go on the road, play all four schools and then go back. So I, I think that's a very real possibility. Now, which other schools go to the big 10? I'm not sure, but the rest of the PAC 12 merging with the big 12 would make a lot of sense to me, even taking Oregon state, even taking Cal Berkeley and, and bringing them into the big 12. I think Oregon state and Washington state are really hurting. I would agree. I think they are not scooped up at all. And I'm, you're going to mock me. Corvallis, Oregon is a beautiful city. It's a no, wonderful place, yeah. but I, I look at this and I'm really confident that it's going to end up as four five team divisions in the big 12 and okay. there'll be a super conference size wise, but never even remotely. I mean, it'll be a distant third, but that's what I think this is about. Now, if you can't get into the big 10, you're racing for third place to make sure you're not below that. Right. And BYU is already in the big 12, which is yep. the greatest of all ironies because for the last 20 years, BYU has wanted in the PAC 10 PAC 12 and all the PAC 12 schools have thumped their nose in it because you're a religious institution, which means you're not on our side of the political aisle and you're not the academic institution. We are, which is a whole bunch of bull crap. Well, I mean, oh, then, whoa, whoa, now whoa, what are they doing? Oh, I was there. I they, Wait, 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 you wait. to vote for them. Yes, but I was into in the Big Twelve, which is I was hold on. I was in, in in on the radio in Des Moines when BYU first tried to join the Big Twelve. Okay, there were protests on campus, not because of the religion side of things, but because of the student code of conduct policy. Mm -hmm. And there are some very questionable and very controversial things that are inside of that student code of conduct policy at BYU. They have made some amendments to it. They've changed it a little bit over the years. But there's still the premarital sex thing is still very much there. See, I, I've never had a problem with it. And here's why you go. It's not like no one's forced to go to BYU. True. True. And once you go, you have now declared you're signing a pact. And but they don't I don't know what it. happened in our is, country where your name doesn't mean what it used to. If you sign something, follow along with what you said. I would you're agree. Do. But, but when the when the star running back does it versus the chemistry kid who does it. Yeah, the chemistry kid gets gets exposed. The star running back gets to do whatever he wants. So it's the, it's does the he inconsistency. Remember, remember the old center, Brandon Davies, who had to miss two NCAA tournament games. Because he admitted it openly. 
Well, <laughs> he, he, I mean, I'm not on their student judicial said. panel, so I don't know of examples that uh, that that you but do. I, I mean, just B- love BYU being that's that into the, the Big Twelve. You're absolutely right. BYU being is the irony of ironies and hysterically funny because you're right. They need BYU now, so now they're like, oh, what conduct, what conduct policy? Don't worry about it. Yeah, when yeah, I yeah. literally watched the protest on campus at Iowa State, like absolutely not BYU should not be allowed into the Big Twelve. Do not do it. And thus they dropped it and they moved on because of the controversy. Now the Big Twelve after almost dying iowa state fans you know stared down the barrel of being you know left behind they thought they were dead the pac-12 tried to kill the big 12 the big 12 is now going to kill the pac-12 this is like a movie where like well it's even funnier this is what i've heard through the grapevine is it most people say last year the pac-12 could have killed the big 12 with a phone call as soon as texas and oklahoma left if they would have picked up the phone and said who's coming then they could have had their pick of any of the teams in the big 12. And it probably would have strengthened the pac 12. The hilarity of that is the one team that said, no, we're fine. Don't adjust was USC. And by placating USC, you in a sense set up the doom of the PAC 12. While if you would have ignored USC and said, this is what's best for the conference, then you would probably be in a much better position right now. And USC would still be in the PAC 12. So you lose Los Angeles, but if you keep Stanford and Cal Mm -hmm. added, added UNLV. So you have Vegas, you add, you add, Reno, UNR, as it's called down here. Uh, I wouldn't. Reno. I admit, I wouldn't add Reno, but I would add San Diego State. I would. Okay, so so, so so San Diego State, Las Vegas. So San Diego, Las Vegas. You have San Francisco. What do you do if Washington leaves? Could you put together a package to convince Washington to not go with the travel and stay on the West Coast? I don't think so. When. They actually have, it's not a national rivalry, but because Oregon State is so far behind Oregon athletically and because Washington State is so far behind UW for the most part athletically, the the Washington-Oregon small rivalry has developed into a much bigger rivalry. So you could take Oregon, Washington, USC, UCLA, and that's a wonderful four-team division, maybe force Nebraska to travel or Minnesota, but you've got a good big 10 division and i don't think the rest like the big 12 i don't think they want washington state or oregon state and i personally wouldn't go after uw and oregon and the reason why is i don't trust them and i don't mean that as a jerk it's not like some professors lied to me or something it has more to do with they'll always be looking at the big 10 and any chance they get they'll jump so why even mess with it now i love the stanford or cal idea or both to give me san francisco I like your UNLV. I like San Diego State. And then you can have a Big 12 division, which is BYU, Utah, ASU, U of A. And personally, I would keep it at a 16 division. And then I would pluck either Stanford or Cal because either one of them gives me San Francisco. And then I would take San Diego State. So I would want four 16 divisions. And you can easily divide up the rest, but you'll end up with a little bit of a hole in the UCF, WVU, and and Cincinnati bracket or division. And I would attack the ACC. I would go after Pitt and create the Pitt-West Virginia rivalry again. And you're going to laugh at me. I would take Clemson. 
and, and everyone's going to say, what? Why, funny? Why would Clemson go anywhere? I think the ACC is going to implode. Yeah, and if the, you're the, the SEC, do you really yeah. need Clemson? No. You've already got South Carolina, so you don't need the market. And why help Clemson get better Correct. with SEC money? They're Correct. already beating you. Right. So and why bring that in there? Right. And then, yeah. it, well, the problem is Duke and North Carolina. So they might go to the Big Ten because they are both in that would, AAU. Why group. would the Big Ten want Duke and North Carolina? Because why not? No, I mean, I. It, and you've it, already got Marilyn and Rutgers. Basketball makes a ton of sense, but football wise makes absolutely no, 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 sense. no. You're, it, you're it, absolutely right. It elevates football their drives programs the bus, without a doubt. Yeah. It, it elevates their programs so dramatically football wise to have them be in the big 10 that I don't, I mean, Duke and Carolina basketball already is way ahead right. of everybody else that I, I doubt they want to give but the funding. Duke, Carolina the and UVA are all members of the AAU and with yep. them being right there to make life easier for Maryland and Rutgers, Fair. Fair. I, I could easily see that from a travel situation too. Jeez, we're gonna have 20 team conferences. This is it's it's all it's it's unbelievable that that's gonna happen, but it's it's happening. It's well, the, it's, you cannot underestimate the stupidity of the Pac-12 and the ACC because remember, they were in negotiations to all of them getting a seat at the table for an automatic bid into a 12-team playoff. And when Texas it. and Oklahoma left for the SEC, since it was Greg Sankey of the SEC driving the 12-team playoff, the Big Ten and the ACC and Pac-12 decided you must be up to something. And that's not right. So we're not going to go for it. We're going to be against this playoff because we just don't trust you. And that's really what ended it. Because now the Pac-12 doesn't will never get a team into the championship. And the Big 12 was slipping. So you lose Oklahoma and Texas. That triggers, uh, in my opinion, UCLA and USC. I don't think any of this would have happened if the ACC, Pac-12, and Big 10 would have stuck with it, voted in favor of the mm -hmm. expanded playoff. And what gets even funnier is what did they do? Then the, the Pac-12 said, let's hook our wagon to the Big 10. Yeah. We can trust the Big <laughs> <Yeah>. 10. And, <laughs> and, the and now they lose. Los Angeles to the Big Ten. Well, we'll we'll move off of this in just one second, but I I think what's really going to be fascinating over the next couple of weeks is to watch Oregon and what Phil Knight does. Because I think that to me is the linchpin for the Pac 12. If Oregon does wind up going to the Big Ten, that's it. it I think they will. It'll be they Oregon do, and UW. Then that's it. I mean, if you lose those yes. two, you you lose the two big national brands, you lose Seattle, you lose the other major market. You know, there's three major markets. I think they're cool. The Big Ten, I think, will probably go get San Francisco at some point, but they're not really worried about those football programs, even though they are competitive. Right. Cal at times, Stanford more often. But I, I just think from from a scheduling standpoint and a travel standpoint, I, I think if Oregon and UW go with USC and UCLA to the Big Ten. I mean, I just think the Pac-12, I don't I don't know, or whatever you're going to call it, the Pac whatever. I, I mean, it's the Mountain West Conference with a couple of better, it's bigger be schools. the 12th Pac, doesn't it? I don't know, maybe, or just, a, you know, yeah, because you need to drink that to watch their games. I mean, it's <laughs> it, it's it's going to be a bad football conference. Basketball-wise, it'll be okay, but I mean, football-wise, it's just going to be absolutely If you allow brutal. my Duke Carolina UVA into the Big Ten yeah. and you allow a UW 
UO, Stanford, and the LA schools, you actually have a perfect geographical footprint of little bitty five team divisions. And I think you could have a 20, this sounds hilarious, a 25 team conference in the Big Ten with five five team divisions. And the math works out really well. The travel works out because maybe once every four years, you have Rutgers go to USC, but you can really play it off with those five divisions. And then I think in five years, it all breaks apart. There's a very good chance of that. Because remember for a while, the, the, the first huge conference, the super conference of all things, talking Las Vegas sports was the original mountain West, which then broke away because they got sick of flying to Hawaii. And then it became the whack in the mountain West. And that's what actually created of all, if you want your trivia to have the extra play in games into the NCAA tournament. Cause it used to be a perfect, there were 30 conferences who all got an automatic bid and there were 34 at large bids. Everybody was happy with the NCAA tournament. And once you had the mountain West whack split, it ended up as 31. Like, what do we do? I know we'll have two 16 seeds <laughs> as if our math allows that. So we had five, 16 seeds and a four bracket tournament. And then it, of course it expanded to the first four in Dayton. It's really wild. Matt, when do we say goodbye to sports grid? Uh, you're good, buddy. Okay, let's take a bite of Sports Grid. Thank you, guys. We appreciate it. We'll be back on tomorrow. Sean Lockhart of Props Arizona will be sitting in for Dave coming up tomorrow. For you folks on YouTube and on Twitter, stick around. Not going anywhere. We're Sports Grid. We'll see you guys coming up tomorrow here for the Bostonian versus the book. Okay. Um, I want to skip ahead here a little bit. It, it we'll do the Circus Sports schedule of the day, and we'll get to USC and the over under on you on the USC, but let me first do the quick, the, the read on this. Uh, Cause we're going to stay with the PAC 12 conversation for this season, the Boston University of the book being brought to you by circus sports and the circus sports survivor pro football contest, $6 million payout last year, survivor returns, new rules, just as much money on the table. Survivor consists of 20 legs during the pro football season. Players cannot pick the same team twice. Entries are $1,000 max of six per player. Entries can be made up until the 10th of September at 2 p.m., players must be physically in Las Vegas to register with an option of hiring a proxy. When and who will be left standing to claim the $1 million first place prize? Could be you this year with Circus Survivor. For full contest rules and details, log on to circusports.com. All right, how we do this, Doug, is I run through the schedule for one team, and we talk about the total wins. And are we going to go over or under on the total wins? We're going to stay in the Pac-12. We're going to go to USC this, this year. First question is, when they're playing a Pac-12 schedule, knowing they're leaving, anybody, any extra juice for these games, knowing that these teams, these, you know, USC is leaving? I'm going to say no. And I think a lot of people in the state will not like my opinion, but because I've seen real passion in the SEC (laughs) and the big 10, and it's not matched here locally, I don't think people grow up dreaming of being a a PAC 12 star. And now they're bitter that USC took that from them. Now there is always a rivalry with every school and USC. And the reason why that is you can't survive in the PAC 12 if you don't pillage Los Angeles for talent. So Mm. you're always going to have kids that are just angry that they didn't get into USC or USC didn't want them. So there is a passion to play USC. So I think it's a very small blip of motivation that you destroyed my conference and I'm 19 years old and I'm upset about it. Totals nine and a half. It's juiced to the over here for the USC Trojans, new head coach and Lincoln Riley. 
You've got new quarterback. You've got a new offense. This is a program that we're going to see who winds up being the starting quarterback for this team on the roster. I mean, Slovis, I guess is the kid that will probably start for year one, but this Costello kid that's good that they've got and others that they're looking at. I think they have like seven kids on the roster, including a, you know, a couple of big red shirts that can't play for coming up, but let's go through the roster in the schedule here. Week one is a layup. At home against Rice on the Pac-12 network that I cannot watch being in Vegas. <laughs> I can't watch because I have direct TV. So do I. So I can't watch either. So win, yes? Yeah. There's one. At Stanford, week two. They always lose against Stanford, so I don't care what the line is. I'll take Stanford on the money line. Interesting. One and one. Fresno State at home. Two and, and one. I know nothing about Fresno. At Oregon State. Three and one. But they do have a history of losing when they're good at Oregon State, but I'm not worried. Three and one. It's a one and one start on the road, two and oh at home. Arizona State at home on October the 1st. Win Arizona State's programs in shambles, four and one. You can, yep, it's fine. Go ahead. Washington State at home. As long as you're at home, five and one. That trip to Pullman is death. At Utah, October 15th. I have no idea. Uh, can, can I get back to you? I, I would probably lean for that being a loss. We're looking for three losses here to get to nine. So I think that's a loss. I, mm-hmm. so I, you like the loss to Stanford. I would probably put that as a win, but the Utah game, I would put that as a loss at Arizona in week two. You know, I'm going to say USC. I'm going to say USC wins, but I have to tell you, Every year, except the last two, U of A always has one of these shocking home wins that you never see from a mile away. And it used to be Oregon all the time. When Oregon was good, they would lose in Tucson. But I don't think Tucson's ready for something like this. I'll take USC. So we've got a one or two loss team going back to home to take on Cal on the 5th of November. Cal's terrible win. They are terrible. Home for Colorado. Colorado sneaky good. I'll still take USC night game at home. Fox sports one on that one at UCLA on the 19th of November. Gosh, if you would have asked me over or under nine and a half wins, I would have just blurted out under. And now that I go through the schedule, I think they beat UCLA. So then it would be Notre Dame on Thanksgiving weekend at home as the last game. I, admit, I haven't done a lot of research on Notre Dame, so I'll I'll take USC on. I admit, don't follow me on this. I'm just going with the home team. I really don't know on that one. So it's interesting. Nine and a half is a pretty good number because we're talking. What did I end up? Ten and two. Yeah, at Stanford, at Oregon State, at Utah, home for Notre Dame. Those are the four games for USC. If they play poorly in year one under Lincoln Riley they'll go eight and four. Mm-hmm. If they play well, they could go 10 and two or better. Yeah. And go, go flying over on this. I don't know. I still lean under on this simply because it's a first year head coach coming over, but the pac 12 is so bad that I don't know. <laughs> you might right. be able to turn around pretty fast because I think Arizona state and Arizona are both cupcake. And Normally, here's the thing. There's always two teams. This Pac-12 South team doesn't play in the North. And then it matters of where are you playing? And not one time did you ever say the word Seattle or Eugene right. as you ran that as you ran that schedule down. 
Right. So that's big. And right, because they miss Oregon. So Oregon's not on the schedule this year. So that's big. Uh, and then obviously you have your traditional games with you know Notre Dame to end the season and that game's at home. So it's mm-hmm. not like you're traveling out to the Midwest in the middle of the, the winter and just, you right. know, and, and, and you, I heard beginning. you say Washington state. I don't even remember you saying Washington, right? No Washington, no Oregon on the schedule. So you actually, every PAC 12 South team misses two teams in the North for you to have a year where you miss Oregon and Washington. The only two teams that matter other than, you know, every three or four years when Stanford wins the PAC 12 North, this is one of those years that USC should roll. Yeah, it, it, it might be. I mean, it's tough. If they play well, 10 wins is easy. I mean, I think, mm-hmm. I think you watch, you kind of watch some of the storylines and watch how the reporters are talking about, you know, that rice game. If they come out and blow the doors off of rice, if you can get an in game over, you know, over nine and a half type of win total, maybe you jump on it. I mean, the Jews probably will adjust. And but. you also have to think of how gutsy was it to pull Spencer Rattler when he's of course going to be winning the Heisman according to everybody else. And you had the guts to do it. So as you listed those quarterbacks, Lincoln Riley is the type of guy where if I'm making a quarterback move, it's not only because you're not doing well, but I know I've coached up the other guy. I don't think he does it just to do it. So that, that also makes me believe that they're going to be able to win games. Interesting. All right, let's go to the betprep.com prop bet of the day because it involves a team with the jersey you are currently wearing. Oh, wow. So it's a prop bet involving the starting pitcher for Merrill Kelly. Merrill Kelly. Over four and a half Ks. The line is minus 130 at DraftKings and most other can be books, Barstool, Bet Rivers, et cetera, et cetera. Five out of the last six games, Kelly has gone over this number at home, averaging 5.7 Ks per game. 11 in the last 15 times, starting after a win, he's gotten to this number, 6.1 average, averaging about six innings per start. Last five, he's gone seven, six, seven, six, and six innings. Not faced the Giants yet this year, but the Giants have struck out 9.2 times per game on the road this year. Only the Angels, Pirates, and Tigers strike out more on the road. Last three road games for Sam Fran, they're averaging 9.6 Ks per game. How do you feel about Kelly going over four and a half Ks today? I liked the over until you read the stats, and now I love it. (laughs) Merrill (laughs) Kelly, this is going to sound funny. He's borderline ace of the staff. You could argue it's Zach Gallon if you want to, but Merrill really went through a shocking display about a month ago of where it was, What Merrill, what's happening to you? And he's back out of it. He made an adjustment that he didn't really want to open up totally to the media to let us know what the adjustment was, but it gave him better control on the fastball and created more differential with his breaking stuff, which leads directly to your point about strikeouts. And it was really important how you said innings pitched. Tori Lovello likes to pull his starters. Mad Bum rarely goes beyond five innings. Last night, even though he was a call-up from Reno, Tyler Gilbert got pulled early in the fourth. I would have to look it up. I think he only went three and a third and he's, he's a starting pitcher. It's not like he was supposed to be an opener. Merrill Kelly's the one guy that Tori Lovello trusts. Maybe Zach Gallen as well. He'll leave in there. He'll let them battle their way through any uh, issues or problems, which should add to a strikeout total. So I, I love the over on that number. Yeah, I like it too. It's, it's juicy. I mean, I don't like props at minus minus one thirty, but I think, four and a half, they probably, 
maybe go to five and a half at some point because the numbers tend to indicate that he's going to get to five Ks. I think six innings, five Ks is very possible. So I actually, I don't always love overs on these, but I think it's an opportunity with the way the giants have played on the road. I, I've been really disappointed with the giants on the road this year. I've, I've bet them a lot this year. They're kind of like my national league team, but. And, and I don't know what the losing streak is, but it's about six now, seven, something like for that the, for the giants. Yeah. Uh, let me see for the Giants. Like everybody knows the Diamondbacks aren't good, but the D-backs are going for a sweep tonight. Yeah. Diamondbacks are 19 and 19 on the road this year. That is absolutely pathetic. They've lost six games in a row. Yep. They got, you said, you said the Diamondbacks, you mean the Giants? Excuse me, Giants. Yeah, sorry. Okay. Uh, Lost the last game to the Tigers, got swept by the White Sox, and now the Diamondbacks going for the sweep again. So they would, they would have, they lose back-to-back series on a sweep. (laughs) <laughs> that's being swept on both of them. And that is not good when you're the division with the Dodgers. <laughs> and then when you compare it with the teams that you did, because there's all the people, you know, calling for Tony LaRusso's firing and you get swept and the diamondbacks uh, were a T were a, uh, not a league high, but a season high for them, nine games below 500 that you came in. And now you're about ready to get swept. They're 40 and 39, 10 and a half games back of the Dodgers, five and a half games back of the Padres. Do you like the the wild card, the three wild cards? Are you, are you a fan of it? I'm, I'm, I'm okay with it. What I always hated was the one wild card system because I want winning a division to, to matter. Agreed. And, and, and that took, when you only had one wild card, that took it away. My favorite system was the two wild card system. I love the one game playoff. I think it's a terrible mistake of baseball getting rid of the one game playoff. I thought that was fantastic. And everybody that used to whine, it's not fair to play 162 games and then have it come down to nine innings. Yeah, it is actually because you didn't win your division. You don't like it when you're division. Uh, it, it, it's fair. What's up? Five minutes. Relax. I've done five. Um, it's interesting to see the Giants are two games out of a wild card spot. Right. They're 40 and 39, and they're two games out. I don't like this. The Guardians are 40 and 39. They're two and a half games out. Mariners are, are one game under 500, three and a half games out. I know they want baseball to matter in September. That's the idea. Just means bad baseball teams are getting in the postseason. I, I, I I'm not a fan of the expansion of the playoff system at all for Major League Baseball, and it's I don't like the I don't like getting watered down. I know the owners want to make more money because they make all the money in the postseason, not in the regular season. I get all that, but it's just it, it, it's a frustrating situation in my mind. Even though I agree teams. with you, the only thing I like about it, and it's the same reason why I was in favor of the NFL expanding by one playoff team, is I like the separation between the one seed and the two seed. Big I realize why you're focused on it. It does stink to think of a 500 team getting into the playoffs, and it's the same thing in the NFL. That's not what gets to me. I want that separation that being the one seed matters that much more. It's a huge gap to say, we'll stay at home two seed while you have to play somebody. No, I agree with that. The one to two is a major differentiator. Now, if you win and get the buy, it's it, it, that's a big, big reward to be the one seed. Although the Yankees are going to be in the American league, you get a team that runs away with it and it gets to be kind of anticlimactic, but it won't always be like that. All right. Time now for better to book it being brought to you by the Caesar sports book. You guys can get up to a $1,500 free risk, no risk wager by using the promo code JTP 15. It's in celebration of just the picks launching my new daily podcast. That came Congratulations, out by the way, even though I interrupted your read. 
No, I appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, we just started tracking on Spotify. We've been top 40 on Apple Podcasts for the last uh, four days. And now we are top 50 for uh, Spotify po- podcasts with sports. So it's been it's been fun. So it's been a, a good start to that pod uh, coming over from the Daily Juice and, and, and really taking, those, taking the audience over to this new podcast. So I'm going to let you play the book. You can tell me whether you want to bet it. And you know, this. I think everybody knows how dumb this is, but I did wear a Jersey today just so I could represent, but no one's been able to figure out what hat this is. You know, the hat. I have no idea what that hat is. That's bad upbringing, but that's not your fault. That's your parents' fault. What is that? The flag of Zamunda. How is that? My parents not knowing. If you don't know coming to America, word for word, then that's terrible. This is the flag of Zamunda. Eddie Murphy. I mean, I it was a seminal moment that the the scene in the hot tub was 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 a very interesting moment for me as, as a child as a child understanding what exactly was going on under the water during that movie. So uh, <laughs> I, I've seen Coming to America quite a bit, but that one scene I would never. Where do you find a hat for Coming to America? Would be the question. This is like my a, proud honor. I don't know if he wants to admit it, but the current president of the Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, New York, was a employee of the Diamondbacks and in charge, the the head honcho of all community and media relations. And he saw the hat and he knew my love of coming to America. So he got me the hat. Very cool. Interesting. Yeah. So you're you're gonna play. And Stevie Mac says he he knew what it was. Good job out of you in the live chat. Just to say, oh, okay, knew, okay. He knew, he knew. I did not know, but he knew. Uh, I will tell you a bet I have played. If you like it, you say bet it. If you don't like it, you say book it. Okay. All right. First bet, Mets plus 105 on the run line today against the Reds. Now, I had this bet yesterday. They blew a great start from Scherzer. Went gave up one run in the bottom of the ninth and they lost one, nothing Mets ATS against the spread. When their favorites are 21 and 0 this year after a loss, they're favored again today after a loss, I'm going to push it a little bit. I'm going to go with run line on plus money. Are you betting or booking the, the Mets against the reds on the run line laying one and a half runs? I am booking, if I have this right, I believe the Reds, even though yesterday was different, the Reds have one good starting pitcher, and I think he's throwing today. So uh, I would I would <laughs> tend to believe, numbers say go with the Mets because there's no way they're going to lose twice in a row to a bad team. But I, I, I'm still old school enough that I like starting pitchers. I think somebody gave you some bad numbers on Graham Ashcraft. He's okay. He's <laughs> that, four. No, either that or I just looked at the wrong dates. I don't go off okay. of memory four, two hours sleep. He's four and two with a 4.53 ERA. I guess for the Reds. I don't care about ERA. Since. What's his whip? Is his whip like 1.18? 1.2. Nah, then it got, it got, okay, that's a little high. A little high. You're probably going to be right. The guy going, Peterson's been pretty good for the Mets. Who's going, he's now outstanding, but they've won four of the last five starts for, mm-hmm. for, for, for Peterson. So he's been okay for the Mets. Uh, bet number two, I'm going with Otani on the hill on the run line against for the Angels up against the Marlins. It's still plus money right now. If you want to get it, they're minus 162 in the run line, but plus 105, plus 106. Rogers at home has an ERA over eight. On the road, his ERA is under three. Huge splits. I don't understand this line. Angels plus 105 on the run line. You're going to bet it or book it. I'll go bet three, meaning I'll go as high as three units. I don't have Woo! any doubt on that one. You like oh, that great. one? My units are five bucks. so it's. <laughs> and finally, I am going to sweat this one out. I know it because oh, I already lost this game. 
Oh no, I haven't lost it yet, but I'm almost, I'm almost dead. Tigers guardians under seven and a half. It's currently five to two tigers in this one. So you can say, do you like nine on this? I'm already going to lose this bet. Wow. That's five runs. Tiger scored five runs off of Shane Bieber in this game. That's brutal. So I'll lose it. I got to tell you, I'm shocked by you that there's a couple other ones that I'm a little surprised you didn't go. The pitching matchup with Braves Cardinals is fantastic. Okay. So under eight and a half looks good. And do you really think Kansas city can come anywhere near Houston? Houston's got to cover the run and a half on the run line. I, I would have chosen my third game to be Houston over KC or the under with Cardinals Braves. So the money line is minus 300 on the Astros. Hey, we only bet five bucks. It doesn't matter. So I so only win a dollar so, instead of five. Yeah, so if you bet, if you bet, if you bet $10 <laughs> on that, you're going to win $3. Just, yeah. Okay. Right. And, and if you want to bet the run line, I have a rule. I don't go higher than minus 120 on the run line for juice. It's minus 145. That's pretty smart. And see, that's the difference between you being a shark and me being a minnow. All I care about is, am I going to be right? And when you bet $5, the juice <laughs> down doesn't even matter. It's just, Hey, okay. am I right? And as long as I'm right, I win. Yeah. And by the way, the line has gone up on Mikolas and freed. It's now nine on that total juice to oh, be even under. better but it's nine now it's gone up. So I I'm with you. I like that pitching matchup a lot, but I couldn't make up on my mind as to who I think wins. Cause the Cardinals have been okay on the road. Braves have been pretty good at home. Freed's a weapon. Mikolas is, is their best pitcher. It's just, I don't know. I mean, minus 172 in Atlanta is expensive at FanDuel. You got plus 144 on the Cardinals mm -hmm. money line looks nice, but what the plus one and a half it's you know, minus 134 or plus 115 on the Braves. So I didn't know what to do about that. And then, I mean, if you, if you look, look, the, the Astros are going to win on the run line today. Okay. It's just a matter of how much juice you want to wind up paying. Yeah. It's a, it may be an in-game opportunity where maybe the Royals score first. And then like yesterday, the Royals were up. Um, I think they're up four, two in that game. And you could have gotten a pretty good price on the run line in game for Houston to come back. And they did, and they came back and won the game eight to six. I think the foul score was, so they covered on the run line. So yes, you're right though. I do like Houston to win on the run line. It's just so expensive. The books okay. are basically selling thing. Don't bet it. So it's annoying. I also like, uh, I usually don't like overs in Oakland because of the foul territory, but right. Toronto's raking and it, it, it was last eight night, and a half man. last like, night. So I kind of like over in there. Ruined me last night. Do you realize yeah. what that game pissed me off? I had the blue Jays on the run line last night. That game pissed me off. They had, they, <laughs> they gave up five runs on three hits to the ACE five runs on three <sighs> hits. Like that's hard to do. I was well, so if, pissed if, at that if last I can mock you then I had Texas Baltimore over the uh, nine and a half and both teams almost individually went over. It was 10 to nine. Beautiful hit. When that happens, no sweat, kick your heels up. All right. We end the day and the show Doug with a thing we call the favorite thing about today. It literally can be anything, just something that you're thankful for, something that you like. We try to be positive. We try to leave everyone kind of smiling and be happy. So what is your favorite thing about today? And it can be what happened during the show today. If you want to, um, my favorite thing about today is probably my favorite thing about every day. Not only the health of my kids, but I'll double down. When I met my wife, I was better looking than she was. And then I have gained weight and lost hair and she has lost weight and gained hair. So it's like a sixth round draft pick that becomes a hall of famer. My wife is really pretty now. So how awesome now, is that that now? you get that? So I am, I am very thankful for my scouting talents. <laughs> 
I can't believe you just said now. <laughs> I'm glad she's not listening to this. Well, show. she got into the she got into the pretties. We got married in mid twenties, and she she got into the pretty zone in the thirties after I got ugly. So it's like I've already cashed in my chips. No other woman would want to be with me, and I have an attractive wife. Player, player. Go. There you go. Uh, my favorite thing about today is the fact that we had a chance to bring Dan on, and that was a ton of fun to go back. We've seen, already seen. Remember Keith Conrad. Our producer, oh, yeah. he's already commented on Twitter. Mike Sparkman, who was a guy who was a sponsor of mine, yeah. of, my, of my show and your show, worked at the T-Mobile in Huntsville. He, he He's chimed in and already on Twitter has, has made mention about the story. So my favorite thing about today was just it was a lot of fun to bring Dan on and kind of to take a walk down memory lane and talk about what's been going on, how things are going. As we end, give the folks a quick plug for Props Arizona and for Doug Unplugged. Where can oh, they find you? Um, every Wednesday is when we record. So later on today, I'll be recording with Papa Bear Sean, an East Side Shark. I'm the Minnows. So even if you don't know a ton about gambling, then do us a favor and watch on YouTube, Apple, or Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. Props Arizona presented by Betfred Sports. It drops every Thursday morning, but we talk about games of the weekend. So if you don't get a chance to watch it on Thursday, it's still good for you Friday. And most times it's still good for you Saturday. And if you either A, care about Phoenix sports or you want inside information from somebody that's been a talk show host for 15 years on Phoenix sports that'll help you with your gambling. Then you can listen to pro you can listen to me on Doug Franz unplugged. Just go to Doug Franz and choose the easiest way for you to get your podcast. That's on your phone every weekday morning by six o'clock in the morning, <laughs> unless celebrating our nation's independence or something like that. Very cool. Doug, thank you for doing this. Really appreciate it. We'll be watching you and Sean coming up tomorrow morning for Pops Arizona. Tomorrow, Sean Lockhart, a.k.a. Poppy Bear, will sit in for Dave. Dave's back on Friday. For Doug, I'm Matt. We'll see you tomorrow for the Bostonian versus the book. Cheers.